Hi, you're listening to Celluloid Cards Wallop with James and Gemma. Sit down and enjoy yourself, grab a snack and have some fun. Everybody and welcome to this week's celluloid cods wallop. We are here discussing the final episode, that episode ten of the series Picard. Uh, it's at in Arcadia Ego Part Two. This is the finale. This is the big one. This is the one that brings it all to an end. So I am James, and as ever, I am joined by my lovely, wonderful podcast mistress, Joanne. Hi, James. I I'm your Debbie McGee, really. Yeah. <laughs> yes, for anyone who's confused by this, I made the mistake when I was recording uh, a talking codswop of calling Gemma, who we shall see as the podcast wife, Joanne. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you didn't scream it out as you came. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't possibly comment. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Joe. Oh, Joe. Oh, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> yes it was a, it was an interesting moment she was like Joanne I'm like oh right <laughs> <laughs> are you seeing other podcasters well yeah. you know <laughs> sometimes a man has to uh, go elsewhere <laughs> to get his full fix <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly my, <laughs> yeah my needs just had to be met <laughs> <laughs> I'm a man I'm a man of a certain age that just just needs to spread his seed. Yeah. I'm following the Bill Clinton approach. Anyway, <laughs> I you know there's you know there's photographs of me with cigars right enough, but I never even thought to do that do anything with them of that particular nature. <laughs> well, we'll discuss that later. So here here we are. I'm gonna have we're gonna have, we're gonna hit the ground running with this one. So the episode opens with everyone's favourite weird dweebo, uh, Narek, the Romulan running round, and we cut too. Well, I thought this was a really nice bit of, of play between uh, Seven O Nine and uh, Elnor, uh, where Elnor's sort of looking at the issue, the whole issue with the Borg, and he's saying, well, basically this should all be you know got rid of. They've got nothing to live for, sort of thing. They've got nowhere to go, and. Seven and nine makes the point. Well, shouldn't they get rid of me then? Because I am, you know, originally a Borg. And it's just a little response from Elno, where he's sort of saying, "Well, I miss you, so please don't do that." And you could sort of see a bit of a mother, a motherly dynamic between them. It was, it was a lovely wee instance. Um, because I don't think, it, as is usual, you open your mouth and you say something, and you don't realise that actually what you're saying involves the person that you're talking to. So he's saying, "Look, why don't they just, you know." away with themselves and and hers is but yeah but i'm an xb so i i don't think elmo really thinks of her as an xb and in many respects i didn't either until until she says i i'm an xb you, you kind of see seven and nine as as a very unique individual uh wonderfully unique uh, and wonderfully sexy but she she is a a unique borg like hugh was you forget that she's in many respects she's just been an xb an awful lot longer than the ones that are on that ship, and yes. I think El knows maybe because he has the art of candor, 
maybe he maybe we'll see him as a character when it goes into series two as well, developing developing you know the ability to maybe regulate what he's saying. Maybe maybe Elmo will develop a filter. Yeah, because I forgot until you said it. I actually forgot about the art of candor thing. The fact that you know he'll say whatever's on his mind and he's just directly and honest. And it was interesting when you said about the fact that forgetting that maybe the person you're with it has an impact upon them. So it's like if I was sat with you and said, "Isn't it a shame that all redheads and gingers no have no souls?" <laughs> <laughs> and I would say that is completely true. <laughs> <laughs> and I am now going to swallow your soul as well because I don't have one of my own. Never turn your back. You don't know what they're up to. <laughs> so was it. <laughs> so as it went on, we then we proceeded to go from that was a little scene to seeing uh, Narek wandering around the uh, the guts of the ball cube, and he got an idea of the vastness of the cube, um, and he's he's looking for like a little um, balcony area, and then he's grabbed by Joanne and I's second favourite person, Nerissa. Um, yep. Uh, I mean, bless him, he had run off from the Synthsville, like uh, like something from uh, Benny Hill. I just imagined the music then. <laughs> he ran off down the hill that time. I actually hadn't realised that he was going to the Borg Cube. It didn't, it didn't occur to me that his, his eventual journey would have been the Borg Cube. And I don't know why, I just assumed he was going back to the ship, but didn't expect him to go back to the, the artefact. But it makes sense. Now, I don't know whether he was hoping to find Nerissa there. It wasn't clear to me or whether it was just he was going there to maybe try. I don't know. Maybe he's going back to his room again. Uh, maybe he's going back to his room actually to delete his browser history before anybody got the hold of his computer. That's true, yeah. He might be going to get his socks as well. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> get rid of, maybe, you know, get rid of those dick pics that he probably had lying around. I mean, I found the... So, you saw that them obviously having a good uh, a good sort of chat and a bit of inter- interaction with each other. And I did like the little line where uh, Nerissa starts saying, I've got this lovely place, oceanfront view, cl- crashing waves, you'll love it. But I think there's a real missed opportunity there uh, with that little scene. And I would have loved to, you know, we always say that there's like some very weird sort of incestuous perviness with them. That under, the, 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 the vibe and the ethos. This should have been a full-on snug, I think. That really would have shown how completely messed... Oh, you could have created a really messed-up uh, relationship there, but I think that was crying out that should have been in there because that could have just been like a real shock moment. Yeah, I didn't actually sense anything between the two of them in that scene. Yeah, and that's yeah, the thing it, that got me. I, I didn't sense that, but can you imagine the shock value if they'd properly gone at each other? Off the, uh, well, I, I I just would have been jealous of Narek, to be perfectly well, honest, because... Uh, He's not good enough for, as far as I'm concerned. But uh, yeah, but you are right. I would have been jealous of him too. But um, but yeah, I think that was a missed opportunity. But we then jumped to Picard, and on my little notes that I made for this episode, and I have got it in front of me as, as ever. Uh, and I said we wouldn't discuss it, but I'm going to say it. Picard's in quarantine, something that we can both, and probably 99% of the planet, can relate to right now. Well, I think it's a good idea because he's 94, so he's one of the uh, he's one of the in the sort of like. The, the difficult cases, the ones that are most vulnerable. Um, you could argue, though, at the moment that he's an essential worker because given the nature of what he's trying to do, he's trying to stop civilization from being wiped out. So I would have classed him as an essential worker and probably would have tested him by now. Now, there, there are two doctors on this planet and not one of them has been... They don't have, they have been tested and he's not being tested. So there's a great falling down in the health service actually on that planet. I mean, as it goes on, I think the interesting thing is you see what you could consider a valid argument between both uh, both Picard and uh, Soji on why they're taking the, the sides they are. But 
at that point, that to me is just filler because we go back to because we then jump back to the cube and you've got Narissa and Narek sort of coming head to head and discussing what needs to be done now. Really, I like this scene because hey, okay, we'll, we'll ignore our weird pervy thoughts on the both and the incestuous side, but it showed you the interesting dynamic both as characters. Uh, you know, Narissa is basically the real tough person, and we've been proven right that Narek basically is the pathetic litter of the you know, uh, so p- pathetic run to the litter for this family. Obviously, he even states himself that you know I managed to do all this stuff even though I'm the useless sort of the useless weak one, the dark, the black sheep of the family. But really, he's not even the black sheep. He's just like the slightly crappy sheep that pretty wanders into the wrong field and gets lost. Yeah, get caught up in barbed wire and things like that. He's, he's just crap. Uh, he, he, he calls himself as well a, ta- a Talchiar washout, I think, too. Um, so he's obviously, even within his chosen, even with it, there's always a shit one in the department. And I think he must be it. Definitely, definitely. He was just somebody like that. We've all worked with somebody like that. I mean, it was, and then of course you see uh, Elnor just slinking out after him in what I consider pretty cool little sort of ninjutsu style samurai thing. Yeah, he 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 just sort of like oh, just have a wee wander here and see what he's up to. There was a there was a great moment as well between Narek and Narissa where she asks him. If, he, if he's found any of the synths, uh, if he's had sex with anything yet, or if he's killed any. <laughs> but Narek answers that he has, he hasn't, and he's killed one. He sees that as a mass improvement. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think she uses a slightly stronger thing than have you had sex, is the uh, descriptive word. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think she was probably quite relieved that he hadn't had sex with one of them. She probably, well, though I thought at one point uh, that that other one, uh, oh gosh, her name's gone out of my head. The one with the golden skin that mounted him last week. I thought somebody's gonna somebody's gonna shag him again. We talked about that at the time. <laughs> I thought not again. What is it with him? He's a wimp. What? Women aren't generally attracted to whips. I have to say we do like bad guys. People like Narek, they're bad, but they're dicks, and it's just not as attractive. Well, to me, it just comes across as a, a slightly confused wimp. But we cut to the ship. Uh, where he gets pretty cool, where you've got Rafi and uh, Rios. Um, basically, the ship's knackered, the ship's buggered from what's been done to it by the weird plant stuff. And they've got some sort of strange, uh, you can imagine anything. I, I don't understand this. You might have to, you, well, I think you are going to have to guide me through this. Hopefully, you understand it better. But they've got this weird little thing that will like fix stuff if you think about it. And. Rios seems terrified of using it because he thinks it might hurt him, causing mental problems. And I do like the fact that he sort of mocks Rafi and says, "If you, because he's saying, you know, you've just got to uh, sort of focus on it, uh, sort of, or something of that nature." He's sort of saying, "If you've been doing drugs still." <laughs> so. Yeah, that made me laugh. <laughs> it's a weird device because I think I think we actually might have forgot to talk about it at the last the last recording that we did. Basically, you. Saga, I think it, it is that gives it to Rafi, and you have to use your imagination to actually make it work. Now, there's an argument here that that's not really Star Trek. Uh, Star Trek likes to come off with very random science words. Uh, you know, they like to science the shit out of things to even make it sound approximately reasonable and logical. Whereas this one is when you wish upon a star. This is more Disney, actually. I find this handheld device that you just think about it. Um, and and it worked. I mean, she told him to concentrate on the on the intermix reactor. I only know him that yeah. word now because I'm down. 
the intermix reactor fused and needs to be replaced, but the maintenance replicator was offline because the intermix reactor was fused. If you're still awake at the end of that sentence, in other words, it's fucked. And all he had to do was put his fingers. It looked like a knuckle duster to me. <laughs> I was about to say that. Yeah, it was a weird looking knuckle duster. And all he had to do was think about it. So he lies underneath it, like underneath a car and uh, thinks about it. And thing is projected out of the knuckle duster and it fixed the intermix reactor, which then kickstarts the engines again and the power to the ship. But was that lazy writing or was that something that was a bit of a different thing for Star Trek and welcoming? It could be argued both ways. I didn't mind it at the time, but I watched another review today and they were really cheesed off with it. They thought that was particularly lazy writing by Star Trek, the Star Trek writers, Picard. Uh, they, they didn't like it at all. I didn't mind it. How did you feel about it? Well, to be fair, I honestly didn't feel too bad about it when I watched it the first time and I rewatched it earlier just to re-familiarise myself with it. But now thinking about it, as we're discussing it, it does seem like a lazy get-out clause where they're just like, well, we've got to find some way to fix the ship and they're not, they've not got like an engineering crew, so let's create this magical knuckle duster that'll uh, allow things to be fixed from your imagination. Um, I guess they were using it just because they needed a pretty quick way out. So, yeah, pro- I mean, I'm not annoyed by it, but I do see it's probably been more lazy writing than anything else. Yeah, it's, <clears throat> it is a difficult one. Uh, the more you pick at it, then I think you would be- possibly come more disappointed by picking at it. If you just watched it at the time and accepted it for what it is, like, let's face it, the last Star Wars trilogy you just had to watch it at the time and accept it what it is. Once mm. you started thinking about it, it became quite annoying. So I th- that was maybe, well, just say that that was a Star Wars incident right there in the middle of Star Trek. We've had Canto Bite before, which is the casino planet and all the random shit that went on in it. And now we've had this other wee bit. This was almost like using the force in Star Trek. Shame <laughs> <Yeah>. on <laughs> you. No, I'm getting angry about it, but this was definitely like using the force. Uh, and this is the point where you need Han Solo to go, that's not how it works. <laughs> <laughs> all of it's, what was it? It's true, all of it, as he said yeah. later on. Yeah, it was a bit well, of a better thing. Going off brand, but the entire thing with Han Solo is he just mumbles, doesn't he? So. <laughs> just dies <laughs> it in. Yeah. yeah. No. <laughs> um. That lean that he does when he puts his hands on his hips as well. It's just that him and everything that he does. Well, we we then move from the ship where they've managed to somehow get it up and running to see John's favourite character ever, Agnes, with uh, Dr. Soong. Um, and I think like the response, because basically, you know, Soong saying to her, well, you know, you're doing all these great things, sacrificing everything to help people on the planet. You're like a mother. It's the sort of thing a mother would do and... That seems to really piss Agnes off, doesn't it? Because it's like, I am not their mother, asshole. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think it's maybe the only time I've ever agreed with her. I wonder how she got away last week with lying. Remember they said that they could tell whether she's lying or not? Uh, she got true. away with it. Yeah. She said she got away with it. The songs, as we said before, very complicated people. Um, he doesn't seem to understand that this is something potentially disastrous about to happen. Now, mm. perhaps Sung's in the back of his head, he's thinking, right, I have the golem there. I'm going to be a synth anyway. All this disaster won't affect me. Um, uh, Gerardi, you're, you're going to end up dying. <laughs> 
once once these uh, higher higher life sins come through, but you don't worry about it. You're not really important. You're making a sacrifice. I've got to say, it's almost like he's he's wrote her off at that point. Or it could be that he doesn't want to see the bad in what you know in the in the what I sent about his children, his creations. He just thinks everything will be good. You know, maybe thinks the well, maybe just I don't know. It's a hard one to call on that one actually. Why he's taking that view? A certain sense of naivete on his part, possibly narcissism as well, because he can't see that done anything wrong probably narcissism actually and uh you know like when people think the children are absolutely perfect maybe he's one of those sort of people uh that he, he's blinding himself from the reality of the bad things because he just wants to see the good and he can't accept that they would do anything bad uh it could be that now Nar- narrick when we cut back to the ship is just basically being the usual really he needs an asbo serving against him uh <laughs> and a good shit kicking because uh, he's doing what all annoying uh horrible people do which is creating antisocial behavior by throwing rocks at the uh the ship and i mean to be fair my hat's off to rios because he basically says keep doing it so like shit heel i'm just going to shoot you uh, to see what will happen to you if I hit you at close range. Yeah, but, but, Narek, or uh, not Narek, sorry, uh, Rios said something strange before that. He said, I recognise that sound when we hear the clanging, you know, against the ship. Yeah. I, do you often have demented Romulans throwing rocks at your ship? How does that one work out? Or is it in reference to whenever you go to a meteorite, go through a meteorite storm, you hear doing, yeah. doing, doing, you know? banging off the ship but it, it seemed a very random throwaway comment at the time you are right i mean it could only be <clears throat> well it's either again a bit crappy writing on that part or more the fact that it is something to do with like having um you know a meteor's bounce off the hull or rocks but narrick is i mean narrick makes a fair point he says i've got all these like little grenade things that he got when he's with his sister and if i wanted to really create chaos i could be throwing those at you but i'm just throwing rocks because Unfortunately, he's done what I think in my memory, what's left of it, serves me right. I sort of said, could he could he t- end up being like the good guy who tries to side with them? I'm sure I said that in the last review, and yes, he's done it. He's, he's just turned from being a, a complete bad guy to a... To, to, well, it's all really for saving his own bacon, isn't it? Because he knows they're all going to die. So there's no real interest in helping the other people other than helping himself. But they do sit and convene and discuss things on the ship. And they're discussing the fact that basically all... Well, it's Armageddon's going to happen, basically, isn't it? It's going to be going to be the end of everything. And that everyone's going to sort of die. And they are trying to get hold of Picard to work out what's happening, but they're getting no response at all. And I've noticed that we get very liberal use of JL this time, don't we? Uh, we do. Apart, Back from to that. Point, apart from the point, apart from the point, actually goes with his full title of you know Admiral Jean Luc Picard retired to try and get him, but still gets nothing. But then, the greatest thing ever, you know, um, our good friend uh, Elnor suddenly appears. I mean, obviously he's been chasing the nine bastard down, but he wants to kill him, and obviously really doesn't like uh, you know Narek. But who can blame him? And he is planning to kill him, but they stop him from doing it. Uh, which is good thing, bad thing, who knows? <laughs> well, I suppose we, we know what the outcome of that is. What I quite like was Elmo says to him, he asks him, does he want to live? These, my friend, choose to live in Romulan. And Narek answers, yes, I do want to live. So it wasn't a yeah. matter of, you didn't need to know Romulan at that point. You were just able to work out, ah, so that's what he said. It wasn't just a load of gobbledygook. He had actually asked him his catchphrase, which he must have loved right enough whenever he was given that catchphrase. You know, what what actor doesn't doesn't want to have their own catchphrase? 
Well, it's his version of like I'll be back or hasta la vista sort mm-hmm. of thing. So he's got his own Arnie-style catchphrase. Um, Agnes gets to do some more sort of horrible stuff that she doesn't desperately like doing where she plucks out <laughs> the eye because she's left on her own, isn't she, with the body of the, uh, I can't remember the name, but is it Saga? Yeah, Saga, who'd been, uh, Saga. Who'd been knocked out, which is a pretty good name considering Sung is old. You know, when you're you're older, you are going to get saga. Yeah, what did I I'll see if I can remember it now? I read a thing earlier, and it was about the fact that their Sung and Maddox's were called after flowers, but the other ones were were had similar names like Data, like um, Saga, and I can't remember their other names now. Codex, you know, they're all sort of like matters of time or information. They had a different sort of name naming convention. Than yeah. the other ones that were created by the humans. Interesting. I mean, I was I was less intelligent. I'm going to be honest. I was thinking just because it's an old man, he's going to get Saga magazine. But you know, <laughs> yes, he's going to get special insurance now when he goes away on holiday. Good luck, mate. You'll not be going anywhere for at least six months because the flights have been grounded. <laughs> if he works hard, he's going to get a Parker pen though. Yeah, I mean, or maybe a nice wee carriage clock from Michael Parkinson. So, so Agnes is ripping out the eye that's left his saga, and she does do apologetic thing for doing it. And the use of it will become much more apparent later. So our intrepid crew and, uh, you know, the annoying Narek are all sat outside a fire, having a fire outside the ship. And Narek basically hits them with the fact that there will be absolute and utter carnage. And what it, it becomes interesting is the reason there has been this push against um from their side from the synths is that the, the the end of the world principle they basically got um it's and initially it's, well, it's it's judgment day isn't it even the captain says that rios he says is it you know ragnarok or judgment day and he's saying well basically yes it will be that it's a story that i believe will come true you know the, the streets will run with entrails and blood and all sort of things and it'll be horrible and violent but the end of everything as we know it which to be fair sounds like the night out in some city centres in this country but <laughs> yeah it sounds like Shaftesbury Square in Belfast on a Friday and Saturday night you know actually what I quite liked about that scene was that even in the 24th century Terminator 2 still resonates with people every time they mention <laughs> Judgment Day all I think was Terminator 2 and the fact that I've mentioned Terminator quite a few times <laughs> before when we've been recording I thought that's quite nice that uh, Linda Hamilton's seminal work, or most important work, is, is still revered in the 24th century. What it also makes me think of, though, is uh, a bit a bit of the, the scene in Aliens where they're sort of saying, you know, where everything's gone wrong, and they're going, well, we'll build a fire. <laughs> yes. It's, the only thing they didn't have there was marshmallows. It was really quite cosy. Mm. I think actually, and, and there there was part of it that there, because he he believes, well, sorry, rather the Romulans believe that this has happened before. It's history. Yeah. Uh, but it will ha- the exact same thing will happen again. It, there's almost like a small, an instance whenever he starts describing things, uh, you know, but the, you know the the horn being called out to bring down the the nasty demons, uh, that that reminded me a wee bit of the Book of Revelation. I was going to say that seems to be the push, yeah. yeah. It's very cryptic and it's very mystical uh, and certainly open to interpretation. 
though I thought, yeah, that that definitely that's like the Romulan book of Revelation. Also hints at the fact that it was something that was about before the Romulans and the Vulcans split off. It seems to have been in their seems to have been in their mythos for a very long time. There was a, there was an instance in oh, I think it was TNG, was it, where they go to a planet and it turns out that a previous civilization so many thousand years before had seeded different planets and that the the, the Romulans and the Earth uh, the Earth's Earthlets, I was going to call them. People of Earth. Humans, that's a word. Humans, Romulans and Vulcans all sort of came from the one the one sort of um, seed or, you know, Genesis type thing. It's uh, And I can't remember what the name of that episode was, but it, it was quite good because it showed that there was a connection between them all. And uh, I can't remember the name of that TNG episode. But there we go. There's, there's something that seems to have been around a, a mythos that's been around for a very, very long time. I mean, it is great the way they give it like a proper in, you know, they they give it a bit more scope of why uh, the, the Romans do what they're doing. And what if, what I, now I, I want to know what you make of this because when it then cuts to Commander O's uh, leading, I assume like she's in the flagship in the Romulan ship that you see going through space. It's a Romulan ship, but I mean, this sounds really star. This is very Star Trek, you'd say, but not as we know it, in my opinion, because, and I want to see if you what you think of my theory. Do you think there's elements of Borg technology built into the ship and the way the ship looks? Oh, I never thought of that. Well, the, I mean, it's very, very elegant on the outside. The, mm. Their birds are, are, are just are gorgeous looking. They're more streamlined. The one thing I, I couldn't see was where the crew was. Did you notice the crew in the background? <laughs> I didn't see anybody. There are a few of them, but I don't think you've got many of them, to be honest. It, cutting back to it was just the way the ship was sort of designed and like the way it's lit up and stuff made me wonder if they're trying to in, integrate some bog stuff into it. Um, when you cut, when you then cut, I mean she's only there for a bit, so sort of saying we're going to go off and do stuff. But then we cut to like the the intrepid crew and Narek uh, discussing how they've got to get back into the um, into the into synthville as they call it. Uh, but they're trying to look at what they're going to do. So the idea is they're going to basically use Narek as a prisoner to get in. To say, well, I'm, you know, we're going to return him, and they have to obviously. I mean, it's about going to convention; they have to have a bag search. So they're going through <laughs> all the bags. Take, well, it is, isn't it? Take the weapons. Yeah, off. And they're going to get wee orange tags and any weapons. They'll look at the, they'll admittedly they they aren't handed back to them again, like you hope is going to happen whenever you go to a convention. There's always that worrying bit when you're standing there in the queue thinking, please don't take this off me. Please don't take this off me. Weirdest thing I've ever had tagged was a whip, a cat woman. That's the weirdest okay. one I've ever had tagged. Yeah. That was a strange one. Now, what I find interesting when they go to this, well, something I just noticed now that they do have uh, Rios doing the uh, the the cocky captain thing of eating an apple. Yeah, he, he kind of looked like a wee bit like a Brazilian footballer to me at that point too. Well, he does have his football. He does have his football. That he brings with him, doesn't he? Uh, yeah. Even as the conversation on the synths, where he's saying, "Yeah, I love to play football," you know, showing them the football. I mean, what I find interesting with the synths is. It makes me think a bit of the way they've cast the actors they've got to be the synth. I don't know if they've all got to be good looking, you know, physically good specimens. I wonder if they followed the same route they did in Star Trek The Wrath of Khan, where all Khan's men were actually Chippendale dancers and strippers. I, I would happily live on that planet. Maybe not with Khan right now because he was a megalomaniac, but I'd, I'd live in synth. It would be okay. <laughs> 
Now, I've got to take my hat to Agnes. She's managed to rip her. I know you hate Agnes, but I find myself warming to her a lot in this episode. And I think she actually looks better looking in this episode than she's done throughout the entire series. But she lets herself into Picard's room by using the eye ripped out of uh, Saga. <laughs> and so he's going, Picard, wake up, wake up. And I just love Picard. He's lying there on the bed. He's got his eyes shut. And he's basically sort of saying, leave me alone. Don't bug me. What do you want? What's, you know, what is this all about? I'm still stuck in here. And she starts saying, we've got to go. And he's going, well, for what purpose? She's like, I'm going to bust you out. Now she gets really excited, but I'm going to take a shot in the dark here, John. Did this start to piss you off that she was getting all excited and happy? Yeah, I, I think her Picard's reaction to her was pretty much the reaction that I have. It's like, oh, for fuck's sake, would you just leave me here to die? The world's about to end. Can I not get some fucking peace and quiet? Go away, woman. Yeah, he, he didn't. I actually thought it slipped into a coma. He was so unresponsive to start off with. He didn't. He just didn't want to be bothered with her. Um, I actually watched an interview on Will Wheaton's Ready Room, the final one. I watched it today. And there was Gerardi and Jean-Luc Picard being interviewed, obviously in their real personas. But there was times I could just see that at me from him whenever she got overexcited when she's being interviewed. I think he's just got to that stage now where I don't think there was much... There was much acting, actually, from Patrick Stewart at that point. I think that was probably the standard reaction every time she was in a scene. But she does make the point when we said, how has she pulled it off? She said, that. She said, you know, she does say to him, I think I'm really good as like a secret agent now. So maybe that's maybe that's what she's becoming better at. But, she, I mean, she gets him out of the room, so she's not doing too bad. Uh and then it bounces from that to show us again soon. And he's really like basically a, like a, a, a retrieval program, isn't he, on a saga to get all the information from her cortex to either, I don't know if he's going to put it in another body or archive it or something. I think it was possibly for her sister, just as a, as you know, sort of like a, right. a nice sweet. Yep. Yeah. Now, the weird thing was, I thought it was only her eyeball that was punctured that time. And it really it wasn't that deep, the, the hummingbird brooch. Surely they're going to sort of fixed her. I thought that was a wee bit lame. Now, okay, if you did that in a human, yeah, that's fair enough. It probably would kill us. But I thought, this this is a synth. They're made of sort of sterner stuff than that. One punctured eyeball probably would, would make too much difference. But for the sake of the story, it was quite good that it worked out, I suppose. But it's the shock moment, isn't it? Because you see it hits him, but he sees that one of his creations could have inflicted this upon another one of the creations, one of the family. Because you see that it's in fact Sutra who uh, stabbed her in the eye, isn't it? And you just see that Narek was there for it to happen. And that our intrepid crew, and I guess Narek is sort of in there now, are on the ground. And they're going, well, how are we going to get the, they find themselves presented with a giant thing that's being built to send the message like how are we going to get up there and I look—I don't know why this makes me so happy but I just love the way that soon just appears behind and goes that's an excellent question <laughs> <laughs> I don't think like, oh shit I mean it looked to me like a, a 1980s sky sky satellite dish <laughs> it was it's really quite rudimentary in a fancy sort of way but it still it was like one of the ones you would have seen on the side of a house massive uh, just like a big eyesore, but it's, it seems to be building itself. I suppose it's quite clever in some ways, but it seems to be building itself. That that must be the we we learn, I suppose, that, that that's a bit that they're going to communicate with the the um, advanced synth race with to to try and get them to send somebody down to rescue them all. Yeah, it's 
I'll tell you what it made me think of a bit, and now we'll even discuss this as it goes on. This whole thing that was building itself to send the signal, all I could think of was Michael Bay's Transformers. That sort of strange design of stuff building that, yeah, hmm, bit of an odd thing, really, uh, to me. But we at least got to go back to the to the ship, and we get to see uh, Agnes sitting in the. I'm not sure. Oh, she's sitting in its um, navigation, isn't it? And her and Picard are basically arguing whether saying the base they're going to be screwed. There's nothing we can. I mean, Agnes is putting forward the point that we're going to real mess. How are we going to get out of this? You know, these people are basically going to kill us. All the synths. There's no interest in anything but wiping us out. And. Uh, Picard, ever been the optimist, he's sort of saying we have to show them, we have to teach them. And he comes with a great line that fear is an incompetent teacher and that the only way we can teach them things is by showing them the right thing to do. Uh, which, I don't know. It's, again, Picard maybe being a bit too optimistic, maybe, and they only have a window of, like, what's he, what does uh, I would say, six minutes, 11 seconds. But yeah, the point of Picard... But the, the the great point Picard makes is, is I guess, and I hadn't thought this until I reviewed the episode, but these synths are a bit like children, really. And he makes that point. He goes, well, you've got to teach them like you teach children. You've got to show them an example. But I do love how it then cuts to the idea that Picard's going to have to fly <laughs> something he's not done for sort of like probably about 60, 70 years. Uh, well, that's no, that's not going to be right. But say he was only flying when he was in his 20s. Oh, it could sort of be right then, 60-ish years maybe, since he's had to fly something. He's saying, well, that's, I've got to see how closely I've actually seen Rios do this and what I've remembered. <laughs> yeah, because th- this is a very different type of ship for him. Er- everything's virtual. You know, there's no hands-on. There's not like the L cars. It's all um, virtual, and it's waving your arms in funny ways and engaging certain bits and pieces. But Agnes is nittering in his ear. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? This, 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 this. And he's basically saying, just would you just shut up a wee minute? I'm trying to fly a space. <laughs> Give my head. No, it's just like an annoying brat. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Uh, wittering, wittering along, asking all these questions. Whereas the poor man is, as you get older, you can't multitask the same. <laughs> I do love him. He's trying to, to fly something without them crashing. And she wants, she wants all the answers there and then. So I thought, I thought again that that was probably a genuine response from Patrick Stewart. Well, she does get to say to Picard the one line he's used saying to everybody, which is, make it so, <laughs> as he flies, yeah. you know, as he's piloting. Now, we then cut to the planet of, uh, uh, again, the, I've always get two things I see the synths, which are classic Trek and, you know, in the whole style of the way they're all dressed and the, this commune of people and softcore porn. <laughs> Well, yeah, we, I think we had established in the last pod, podcast that you thought it looked like Transformers mansion, and I thought it looked like a 70s porn star mansion in, in L.A., so I think there's <laughs> there for everybody. No kink shaming here. We don't care. The thing that throws me in this scene, and I, I want to see what you reckon, is so it cuts to, um, you know, soon, soon basically says to Sutri, you know, basically you killed one of your own kind. You killed one of your family, basically just so you can build this beacon. This is it. Just so you could get this done. And then he, he he's obviously very upset. They're very unimpressed. And then, because he's questioned, oh, why would you help a Romulan kill someone? You know, I thought I'd actually taught you to be a better person than this. And he uses like an EMP thing to turn her off. And it, it, 
you see the dis. I guess it, it's like the disappointment a father would have in a child that done something wrong. But he says to you know, you basically know better than we are. And he's angry to almost be the perfect people, be just as foul as we are. And then they go into like commando mode. So from somewhere, Narek dro- <laughs> I can't work this one out. Narek dropped from the sky, but where has he been? Yeah, I- <clears throat> this is actually a wee bit of a confusing scene. And wonder, it's one that I wonder did it actually need to take place because everybody's kung fu fighting and really Sung is the man that's in charge and he's mm. already said he's already turned uh, Sutra off mm. you would have thought that the rest of the sense would have thought oh dad's not happy let's wait let's wait here and see what's what's happening but no that the, there's there's the weirdest fight scene that goes on as they try to blow up this device unsuccessfully but I don't think there's any real need for anybody fighting at this part. Yeah, and what I really don't understand is this. So, the synths are all fighting, so we understand that, well, they're, fight, they're fighting the synths, and Narek has suddenly become Neo out of the Matrix and can do flips and all this weird stuff. So, what I cannot get my head around is this. The synths are going to be incredibly strong, as I understand it. Data is always incredibly strong. And you do see the synths do things where they're stronger. So how can humans or Romulans fight them? It doesn't make any sense to me that. I mean, am yeah. I wrong? Can you see the logic of what I'm saying there? Totally. Totally. I mean, Dad has said no, and yet they're still fighting. But it looks like for a while that the humans have a chance against, as you say, practically the bionic man. Let's go back to the 70s here. But something synthetic that's flipped their nose how many times stronger and has more stamina than humans. So... Not in a million years are the humans going to be able to fight them. Yeah, it was totally logical. I mean, I get it's a filler. They've got to have it as a filler. And then we cut back to uh, Agnes and Picard on the ship. And I do love the thing when she asked him questions. Like, how are we going to do this? We're going to have all these ships going against us. What are we going to do? I mean, you're right. It's like a child. Are we there? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Uh, but she does ask him the question, which I love her. But he's not responding. She asks him questions. She goes, are you doing this just build suspense? <laughs> <laughs> Yes, yeah, Agnes, we're all about to die. I'm just trying to make it even more frightening. (laughs) (laughs) What is this? Stupid question like that at a time like that. But it's a brilliant little thing to ask. I mean, it just cracked me up, but it's his response I like as well, which is, I'm trying to pilot a ship, something I've not done. I'm doing, I've patched in the ship for the first time, but it's something I've not done for a very long time, and I've got to make sure we don't crash. So it was, uh, he he snapped something, if that's all right with you. Yeah, she goes, yeah, okay, fair enough. <laughs> I think she realises that she just needs to shut the fuck up at that point. Yeah, it'd be like when you're driving, isn't it? Someone's just, like, constantly pestering you. So we cut back to the, the, the mad fight on the planet, and, you know, Narek is basically begging Soji not to do stuff. And then the mad, the fact, you know, the, the football that for some reason uh, Rios brought with him, he basically passed off as being something to just play football with, has a amazing little thing that's going to, I'm assuming it's like a disruptor or something that's going to stop things happening. But, you know, the fact that we've got Soji who's just got, suddenly got all her abilities and powers back, she just basically turns the flying thing off. Well, she doesn't even turn the, the, the bomb off. She catches it. And this is the thing that made me think it makes no logical sense that they can fight the, the synths because she throws a bomb into the air so far that it just explodes in the atmosphere almost in the atmosphere sort of thing, without creating a problem. If she can throw something in the air that far, let's be honest, the synths would be like Terminators and would just be ripping people's heads off. Exactly. And meanwhile, she goes back to her building blocks again. That's sort of this weird thing she's doing. Again, it's all virtual rather than practical. 
is to, is a, seems to be the technology actually in the later half of the 24th century. And she's gone back to build in, I'm not exactly sure what it is. Is it a giant on switch that she's making? I think it's a giant well, on switch. Yeah, or almost like looks like she's building one of those things, like a house of cards thing, a tower of cards that'll then just be a tower for the the beacon. It's a strange yeah. one. Yeah, <laughs> it is Jenga. Just building it up, but bit by bit, just building all these blocks. Oh, I know what it is. Tetris. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, it is Tetris. Different colours, getting things all interlinked. It is like Tetris. You're right. I knew it reminded me of something, and I just struggled. I thought, what the hell is it? What is it? Tetris. That's what it is. Tetris. Or columns, if you had the Sega Mega Drive. So, Salty Tadpole, so this hasn't made you want to dig out your Game Boy or uh, your Game Gear. I don't know what will. And Game now, Boy sometimes, a different thing in my world. Really? <laughs> well, not not boy such. I, I, okay, a Game Man. There we go. I don't want to. I don't really want to insinuate that I'm up to any odd stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so, because I'm nice, despite what everybody says, I'm going to let Joanne run with this next scene. Yeah. This is the kung fu fighting scene, the proper kung fu fighting scene. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Uh, the, 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 the showdown between Narissa and Seven of Nine that we've all wanted. There's a lot of touchy feeling going on but not admittedly in the way that maybe you and I had kind of hoped for in the first place. I love Damn the bit. Right. Never. Yeah. <laughs> I love the bit when Narissa said um, that you, you know, you're really quite pretty, but you're a disgusting meatbag. And her, her, her queen Annika, um, all she got for her sixth birthday was, was assimilated. I thought, Oh, <laughs> you, you fucking bitch. But there, cause this is, this is when Narissa is trying to bring the artifacts artifacts weapons back online so that she can gain a lock mm-hmm. on the left of Renna. and then Seven sneaks up on her there's a wee bit of a fight between the two of them at the time it wasn't a massive fight maybe could have gone on for a wee bit longer but uh, it looked for a while that Seven was going to lose to Narissa mm. she's be better hand to hand but this goes in there with fists and legs flying all over the place she's not as polished as uh, Romulan Aikido or whatever it is that they're doing there but, but she gets to come off from seven anyway. Yeah, but in the middle of that, of course, it jumps back to show what's going on in space, which is basically where the Romulan fleet have turned up. I mean, all of them have basically turned up. The, you know, it's it's a huge amount of people, a huge amount of ships, and so much so, I think some of them are already being sent into the. Uh, no, sorry. In response, the synths send up the weird, you know, proper classic Trek orchids to try and see if they can assist with sorting things out. But, I mean, there is it's pretty much like a no-win situation. The, the orchids will manage to obviously stop some things, uh, but the, the, there's too many ships for them to go on. But, again, visually, this was stunning stuff when you've seen the way they put the ships through the whole through the whole fights in the orchids. I mean, again, this is where I really wish I could see it in the cinema. But we're not really here for flowers. John and I are interested in orchids at this point. We're only after this scene, which is where I'm handing back to John again. Oh, yes. This is what happens. So there's a lot of fighting going on. Um, actually, at that point, that Narissa mocks um, sad Queen Annika for being assimilated as a child. And then she goes back to try and um, lock on, lock the artifacts weapons onto the, the La Serena. And uh, what does she say, sir, now? 
she she mocks her and and says well, you she, know why she doesn't says she to her, why did yeah why didn't you kill yourself basically yeah. and then Sam replies because I still had this to live for and pushes Narissa off the edge this is for Hugh that's it. I had to actually write that one down because I thought it was just particularly good so once again Seven kills someone because it's the right thing to do mm. on this occasion. Um, she's kind of got over her worry about vengeance that she and Picard had a conversation with about before. Don't go down the route of vengeance because it's once you go down that route, you, you can't come back again. But happily, she's just been able to set that aside and just seek revenge on Narissa, which is, I was glad for Seven because it was the right thing to do because of the lovely Hugh. But at the same time, this is Narissa we're talking about. And we get a lovely big... <laughs> as she falls off the edge. And I thought, fuck oh, no. Surely she can't be dead. What I'm really hoping at this point was that she gets beamed onto the Romulan fleet. Because they're, they're um, planet side at that point. You know, they're, they're up in the skies there. And I'm really hoping that maybe she had a comms badge on or however it is that they took, that they actually engage. Um because she she was beamed out on quite a few occasions in other scenes just at the at the right moment, though I didn't see what she was hitting at the time. Um, there was a couple of the fight scenes where she got she manages to get out just simply by beaming out. So fingers crossed we see Narissa later on down the line. She's just mm. too good a villain, too good a sexy, sarcastic bitch of a villain to get rid of. <laughs> well, I have to say, yeah, I think it would be. Uh, you know, it's it's sci-fi, so hell, it's Star Trek. Anything can happen, but it would be good if we got to see her again. I would love to see her again. Great villain. It jumps from that though straight to the you know the the orchids have served some sort of a purpose. They've destroyed some of the ships, but chaos is reigning supreme. There is only the wee ship that they're on, uh, the wee slightly junky ship that Picard and Agnes are on, and Agnes is sort of like filling the gap of uh, a, a Star Trek uber geek fan but also someone who's probably slightly bonkers having a conversation with herself because she's going what are we going to do that's only us you know it'd be great if we could ha- have loads of different sheep uh, you know what what's your what's your great plan we need some like a you know like the picard maneuver and then she goes oh actually the picard maneuver existed isn't it a thing when you made the enterprise look like it was in two places at once and i just love that sort of like slightly tired response but still managing to pilot the ship response from uh, Picard. Of, well, it was actually the Stargaze, you know, but it was ages ago, and I don't see how we're going to do it. And then, do they call them MacGuffins? Where it's something that's sort of like solves the problem. So, our weird, you know, knuckle duster thing, because this sort of thing has to be something that will create a, you know, create a reflected image, a bit like a mirror and things. Uh, Agnes sort of goes, yes, but we've got this, the weird replicator thing. And then, you know, I'm assuming that, like, this would have, this particular part of the scene, John, would have caused you to have a cold sweat and possibly want to throw the TV out the window because Agnes creates multiple images of herself. How did he get through it? Oh, God, that was like a really bad cheese dream for me. A really, multiple Agnes's. There must have been a good 20 to 30 fill the screen and you're thinking, what sort of de- sick, demented people did that? Poor, poor Picard at that point. Because if that scene had really taken effect, I mean, that man would have just, I, I think probably would have taken an, an aneurysm. His, his blood pressure would have gone sky high at the thought of all those Agnes asking him stupid questions at a very inopportune moment. 
it was clever, but it was horrifying. I mean, <laughs> I wonder actually how she knew how to use a knuckle duster. Did she learn yeah, it from one of the sin? Yeah. How did she know how to use this knuckle duster? That's true, actually. Yeah, because well, to be fair, the knuckle duster, to my knowledge, came out of nowhere anyway. So we found the ultimate McGuffin uh, in that. It's just there to move it ahead, the plot ahead. But we've got no logical idea where it came from. So anyway, but uh, Picard is then trying to basically say to Soji, look, there is a better way of doing this. You don't need to do this. There's no, it, it will help nothing. And he basically says to her, I'm going to sh- give you something that will show how this is not the way to go ahead. And Soji's basically like ignoring him, saying, well, this is, you know, what are you going to do? And Picard pretty much says, I'm going to give you my life. You know, I've killed myself. I will sacrifice myself to ensure Mm -hmm. that this doesn't, this doesn't have to happen. And you see that Soji does actually have an emotional impact on her. Yeah. That, that was very 14 year old boy. Off Picard at that point. What do you want to do? I got to kill myself. If you don't listen to me, I'm going to kill myself. Uh, I like like to get a bit more behind it than just like a a sullen (laughs) teenager. (laughs) (laughs) And I just thought on this this time, I'm going to give you my life. And I thought, very Shakespearean almost of him. Well, what more would you expect from Sir Patrick Stewart? I mean, a great Shakespearean actor. Now, I do like the fact that when the ship goes up against uh, <laughs> the Romulans, Commander O's just like, what is that? <laughs> <laughs> it was a case of, what the fuck? Are you serious? One ship? One possibly small freighter? And it's going to fight the whole, the whole Romulans? Now, the only thing is, whenever we get to the bit where they engage the magical knuck- knuckle duster, and they're suddenly... I'm looking at it as we speak. I'm looking yeah. at it as we speak, so yeah. And there's 200-odd Las Serenas. And I'm thinking, we have these Romulan birds of prey, which are, you know, war, war, or war birds. You know, they're, they're built for battle. And yeah. anybody recognize this as a freight, some sort of freighter or small passenger ship? The Romulans are going to be worried. It doesn't matter how many of those things there are. They're not going to be that worried by some flimsy wee ship. No, they're not. I mean, I can only think what they're only doing it because it gives them a multitude of targets. So it means they're not just going to draw fire on one ship. But they, of course, do hit the ship. Yeah, look. Unfortunately, bad luck there, Picard. But they don't destroy it, which, again, seems a bit daft. But they hit it, they send it a bit flippy and floppy. And, you know, uh, Agnes so she's like, oh, no, because she can see all this stuff happening somehow um, through some sort of screen, which I didn't fully understand. But this is obviously yeah. taking a toll on, on, on old Picard as well. I think actually that Picard has left the comms open at that point, and that's why she's able to see what's going on. Ah, that makes sense, yeah. So it is taking a toll on him, and suddenly the magic beacon has built itself and sends some really cool, like, you know, Pink Floyd Jean-Michel Jarre laser into the into space, which opens up like a wormhole. Um, <laughs> now, the thing that gets me on the wormhole is, I mean, I do, I mean, we're getting to like sort of Nazi-style territory with the Romans because they're like, we're going to sterilise everything, you know, like and like the Vietnam, uh, the American Vietnam policy, like scorched earth, just burn everything, destroy everything. Um, it's called the Romulan approach to things as well because they want to sterilise the planet. Yeah. 
So they, they're going for it. Anyway, this is the scene where, yeah, I just was grinning like an absolute nutter, like the happiest Cheshire cat who has just got like the biggest bowl of cream put in front of them because suddenly loads of Starfleet ships appear. Now, the only nitpicking I'm going to do, because, you know, this is what we do on these reviews, is the ships all seem to look almost identical. Yeah. <laughs> and suddenly every ship is the same. Oh, could you not have come up with a few extra ones? Maybe those are the best in the fleet. Maybe those are the dog's bollocks to have in a war situation against the Romulans. Who knows? Possibly. I mean, I also hate to say that. I suspect somebody, you can imagine the phone call. So the, the special effects guys are, uh, you know, it, it's Friday. Let's be honest, it's Friday. This is how I reckon it played out. It's Friday afternoon. They're going to finish early, and a phone call comes from Amazon, the Amazon people producing this, and, and they say, basically, we need, like, a 1,000 ships or whatever. It's 1,000 designers of ships going up, uh, and it has to be for, for Monday morning. And the, the, the animator guy is just going, oh, fuck's sake. Uh, all right. Uh, do you think anyone knows if we just do a load of them that pretty much look identical? Nah, fuck it. We'll just, just repeat the thing, you know, copy and paste, copy and paste. It'll be fine. We might change a few little bits of what they sell, but no one's going to be looking. <laughs> yeah, there's an expression. Lack of planning on your part is not a reason for panic on mine. So then we went, fuck it, it'll do. It's DFR approved, as we say, and we're pretty fucking rightly. <laughs> a JFDI moment. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. I, mean, I, I was so, I kind of got a wee bit excited at that part because so many appeared that it, it took me a moment or two before I realised that they all looked the same. But I did get very excited that suddenly Starfleet appears and all will be well. You, you had an Agnes moment because she's like, well, they're all here, they're here, yeah, yeah, she's dead happy. Uh, and she's like saying to Picard, I'm really did it. And Picard looks, again, they've gone for this point where Picard they decided to make him look his age more, I feel. He's looking tired, he's looking worn, and he's obviously not He's obviously not well. He's got the look of a uh, a person who's just worn down by everything at this point. And there is a lot, you've got to remember, he's 94, there's a lot of pressure being put on him. He's got to fly, he's got to do all this stuff. Now, this is the point where... Oh, Commodore O, General O, whatever the bloody hell she calls herself, is on a ship and he says, their flagship is hailing you, hailing us. And, of course, it opens up and, frankly, uh, it is the one, the only, Captain William T. Riker. And yeah. at this point, I was just happy as anything. You could have, yeah, this made the episode for me, basically. <laughs> Yeah, so cool. I mean, basically, this is what I love with uh, Riker. In any sort of war scenario <laughs> or extreme combat, he's just brilliant because he, he stays calm and he's basically saying to, um, you know, basically, I've come here with the fleet. I'm in command, you know, sort of do as I say. And they do get something coming where Picard is sort of saying, basically, you know, I've been told to uh, discuss terms of surrender with you. But I love the way Riker says, like, General or Commodore, whatever you're calling yourself. <laughs> I'm on the bridge of the toughest, sort of fastest, most powerful ship that we've got to, we've got in service. <laughs> and I will, I've got the entire fleet here. I will do, I'll basically blow you out of the stars, sort of thing. <laughs> I will kick your your treacherous Kalski R ass. I, I loved it too as well because he was so nonchalant about everything and he has the best lean sideways on a chair. Yeah. Whether it's the sign of a man with a sore back or not, I'm not quite sure. <laughs> Just, he just doesn't give a shit. 
he's always had that nice, or that not nice, but that wonderful. I'm gonna kick your arse. My dick is much bigger than your dick, and I'm gonna show you exactly how big it is. I have to say now, I had a manly cry at that part. There was a couple of tears slipped down. I thought, oh my goodness, this is so good. And also a wee cheer for Mystic Stafford. I thought, yes, yes. yes right. Riker was in the last one. Up yours. Yep. And I will admit that and I actually contacted you about this the day before it aired in the UK where I had unfortunately found out that Riker would be in the episode. I had literally you know, I had no real confirmation. I had my theory, but I had no confirmation. And do you know who, who provided the information that Riker would be in the episode? It was him, wasn't it? Jo- Jonathan Frakes on Twitter. <laughs> and uh, the Irish Trekkie Club, USS Escahollon. Yo, everybody. And a uh, big shout out there. And one of them had said that had just been spoiled for them by Jonathan Frakes. And I thought, oh, yeah. oh, right. And you'd warned me as well. Don't be going anywhere near anything. So I deliberately avoided everything to do with Picard because I thought I don't I don't want anything of this one spoiled because the week before there had been that wee screenshot of Sutra, but it looked yeah. like she was maybe just Soji's fancied up. But at that point, we didn't realize she was a completely separate character. So I thought, no, I don't want to see anything. Here, the bridge of the ship that he was on, um, it's named after some Chinese explorer or commander or something like that. I, I can't, I'd have to have it written down in front of me. I, hang on. Zhang He. Um, mm-hmm. It's actually the Discovery. Redressed. Yeah, I heard that. The Discovery, yeah. And it was shot. That scene was actually shot whenever he was uh, shooting Discovery season three, maybe? Two or oh, three. Might, might have been three, yeah. So <laughs> they take time out of their, their schedule and shooting the new Discovery series to do that bit for Picard and I thought what a lovely joined up family Star Trek really is when it comes down to things like this you share producers you share writers characters music I mean we've heard the music so many times from Voyager and pardon me TNG and so many other bits and pieces from Star Trek and it's just it's acknowledging the fans that the ones that mm. really get in to the ones that go, oh, I think I know what that is, and have to go off to Google to have a look at it. It's just, it's wonderful. Uh, there is a great love of the whole franchise in Picard. It, it's had its ups and downs, no doubt about it. it. I mean, some of those seasons, or some of those episodes, rather, really, really dragged. But it's always had love for the franchise. Can't, can't fault it there. I mean, what got me... Um for that scene itself and I, I will admit this uh, well you, you, you'd already heard me but for all the happy for the the appearance of Riker gave me all the feels it did and I've got to be honest it brought tears to my eyes it really did it's not I, I mean I, we'll, we'll go into the rest of the, the episode but that really really hit me you had the rousing Star Trek theme when the ships appeared but to see Riker yeah I did I, I can admit I started crying and it's not the really the part of the episode you would expect to be crying at but it really did yep. hit me that. <laughs> it really got me. <laughs> it, it was a real sucker punch, wasn't it? And I think the, the word for us now, I mean, whenever we recorded last week, we were waiting for uh, the PM to come off with a statement at half eight. And it turned out that we yeah. were uh, pretty much in lockdown. And the last week for everyone in the UK has been 
horrifying. Well, the whole world, but if you just take take for us personally in the UK, and I think this particular episode, we just needed something to maybe anchor us again, to make us feel good and to make us feel hopeful. And Riker coming coming along in that particular scene, coming in to save the day and backing up Picard, whenever things look so bleak and at possibly the end for Picard and, and the human race, and Riker appears, we just needed that. That was a good mm. time. Yeah, I think you're probably very much right on that because I, for me, I knew that we would be there, Picard, because as I said, Freaks himself had ruined it a bit with the picture of him doing like the peace sign in the captain's chair uh, that was on Twitter. But so I already sort of knew he would be there. I mean, I would have loved to have not known at all, but I knew he would be there when they appeared. But it was for me, it was this thing, what is he going to do? What is he going to do? And just when he appeared, you know, I, I love the character anyway. I love him to bits, but I guess you're right. It gives you that, it sounds a weird way to describe it, but it's maybe like a bit of a warming hug of something you know, if you understand mm-hmm. what I'm saying. It, it's, yep. you know, you know it's a safe situation. It's a character you, you're very much aware of anyway. So I guess that helps. And as I've said in my previous stuff, he still reminds me of my old man, uh, which obviously adds to it as well. Um, it that, that's very true. I, I love the way he, he tells, he says to Picard as well that he could well, he wasn't always going to sit and make pizzas in the forest. Yeah. <laughs> they had to go in. He wasn't going to talk, talk Picard out of it, but he certainly wasn't going to sit on the lines and miss it. And it, it was just, it was a wonderful moment between Picard and Riker. I mean, the yeah. sheer relief on, on Picard's face when he realises it's his old friend. You know, okay, Picard is suffering at that point, and we, we certainly find out why in, in the subsequent scenes, but the relief for that for that man to know that it just wasn't him that was carrying that. It, it was someone else and someone with massive shoulders and who fucked chairs was a big relief for him. Well, the thing is, obviously, Picard is uh, ill. He's, you know, he's going to like his brain melting territory because he's getting very unwell. Agnes has to give him like a sort of a boost of health stuff, but she, you know, he said, I've got to speak to Soji as bad as it is. As I am, I've got to do this. And he's begging her to, to just stop the beacon because basically what he's saying is, what? And it, this is incredibly logical. He says, well, if we're the enemy, if we Starfleet the enemy, you have to be aware that if you view us that way, if you hold that, as, you know, hold that to be true, would we not have just sided with the Romans and destroyed you? Well, here's the Federation trying to help you. She sort of sees, you know, because she sees the logic of it because before she's saying well you just want to throw us in the scrap you banned us as since and it is a very logical point that he makes if we wanted to get rid of you we would do it right now I mean hell they'd wipe the entire planet clean if they combined forces the Romulans and Starfleet but he gets to see that there is trust that you know I trust you please trust us you know with this and I know you will do what do you will do what is the right thing to do yeah, uh, very, very interesting scene. Uh, I would love, loved Agnes to have accidentally given Picard a shot of Viagra, though, instead. <laughs> Just by, you know, uh, which one will I give him? Uh, I'll, I'll lift that one there because this this is like a, a painkiller, some sort of stimulant that, that, she, yeah. that he gives him, you know, to keep him going for a while later. So I think a dose of Viagra at that point would have made the scene even more interesting again. Well, give him a happy ending. <laughs> <laughs> oh, imagine getting a happy end from Gerardi. Oh, God. No. 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 
no eyebrows still. I can't, I'm sorry, I can't take a happy end when somebody has no eyebrows. But what I don't get is, so the the, the portal opens, and you, this again is, I think, what makes me think of Beige Transformers again, because I don't know what in the name of God's coming out of that portal, but it looks bloody scary, because it's just like, um, you know, mechanical tentacles, isn't it? It's the weirdest yeah. thing ever. It's Meccano gone bad. No shit. Oh, God, yeah, you won't want that. It looks sort of like, I don't know, like something out of, well, I think we're in like weird Japanese porn territory. In fact, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. If this planet looks like a softcore porn thing, Japanese like tentacle <laughs> porn, we're on to something. <laughs> you know, I almost expected, I didn't expect the tentacles euphemism there to come through. I, I thought it might have been a wee bit of a twist if it had been something quite angelic coming through, something that wasn't evil, that didn't fit the bill for the Romulan myth, that it was something angelic had come through there. Uh, but instead, yeah, we had hentai. And it was it was really rough looking now. And uh, you really believe that, yeah, this, this weird shit was going to wipe out everybody. Though you'd like to think there was a few more than just about the six tentacles that we'd seen. I, I, I can't begin to think what it could be to be honest it must be something oh, pretty big and scary yeah Cthulhu yes Cthulhu <laughs> <laughs> but Soji sees sense listening to Picard she destroys the uh, strangely just by hitting the Tetris stuff she causes the entire weird structure to vanish but hell I'm not going to argue with it it worked but um we then see uh, basically Riker sort of saying, right, we'll stand down from Red Alert. Um, the Romulans, well, the Romulans basically say, when, you know, they basically stand, they surrender, don't they? And he's saying, excellent idea. Down from Red Alert, we'll, we'll uh, take you back, you know, we'll escort you back. And the commander in her intelligence says, <laughs> uh, it will be okay. But I love like the way Riker responds, there's really be no trouble at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, here's really, I mean, Riker and Picard, without realising, have completely outmaneuvered the Romulans. Because Picard, mm. in the last episode, had put in a call to Starfleet to establish first contact for protection of our Car- Carpelia, or what you, I can't remember the name of the planet now, uh, to protect the planet and, and the occupants on it. And the, the Romulans tried to say that, look, uh, Riker says, you know, under treaty, whatever it is, we're protecting the planet. She says, basically, she says, no, we got there first. We, it's it's ours. We, we're here first. And then Riker's able to play the message from Picard saying, I'm establishing first contract, or first contract, first contact, um, mm. and look for protection for the planet. So she, she the Romulans being the master strategist, no, fuck it, I'm not even going to try and say the word. The Romulans being strategist. brilliant. Strategist. The Romulans being brilliant at working shit out. Uh, they know they've been outmaneuvered at that point. But yeah, Riker just has to get that last wee dig in. What I will say, for because you get this wonderful uh, conversation between uh, Riker and Picard, what I will say, as a side note, is the hairpiece they put on uh, Jonathan Freight is very good. Uh, it's a very good hairpiece to put on him, definitely, because his hair looks a lot thicker and fuller <laughs> than any other time. There's no bald spot visible. <laughs> Well, I have to say it's probably a good time for everybody to get a hairpiece because with so many things being closed, including hairdressers, 
there's a lot of us whose true hair colour is going to come through now. And I'm seriously thinking about starting to get my wigs out. <laughs> well, for me, I'm going to just, yeah, I'm just going to end up looking like Tom Hanks in Castaway, I suspect. So <laughs> You're lucky your hair's naturally blonde. You'll have no bother yeah. at all. You'll look like Jesus by the end of it if you grow your hair. So basically, I look like I look to university. Blonde hair, <laughs> beard. <laughs> You'll not be washing, you'll be drinking, you'll be hugging one pint all night, uh, you'll be having sex continuously. Maybe it's not a bad thing, actually. <laughs> on, hang, thing. hang on, hang on, I'm on my own, so I can't have sex continuously because we can't actually go near anybody. <laughs> <laughs> you'll be wanking yourself to death. If I don't hear from you, um, I, I don't know. Do you want me to send some sort of support package over? A fleshlight? <laughs> Maybe. You can still order one of those. Actually, it might not be too late. I would maybe get on after we finish recording here and get on to Anne Summers or Love Honey or whatever it is tonight and get any accoutrements ordered before the Postal Service finishes. So I'll order a flashlight and I'll try and get a picture of uh, what she called uh, Narek's sister. I'll oh, a nice picture of <laughs> Wondering there which one you're... Well, you could, you could have seven of nine one night and then you could have Narissa another night. And if you really wanted to be a wee bit out there, you could maybe even have Gerardi for those nights yeah. that, you know, you're just not feeling it at all and you want to go to sleep. Gerardi would be that would be there for you. <laughs> but, <laughs> but as usual, we've veered off, haven't we, Salty Tab Bowl? So back to the show. So we have the... We'll take it out the gutter, and we, for once, Joanna and I are actually going to take it from the gutter and not keep it in just, you know, we'll not be pull out the gutter, keep it a bit filthy. We're going to go clean for this section, or we're going to try, which is just a lovely interaction between Riker and Picard, where, you know, he's Picard's really happy to see that Riker's come and saved him, and he basically says to him, um, he says to him, what you did was brilliant, and Riker basically says to him, I'll learn from the best. And Picard lets him, so I says, well, I'll take it from here and you can go. Uh, I'm so surprised that they all left, if I'm honest. <laughs> I thought it was a bit short-sighted. <laughs> yeah, I, I probably was. I did like the way that um, that Riker says, um, I'll leave it in your capable hands, Admiral Picard. Yes. yes. So I thought, well, does that mean that he's back in Starfleet again after retiring? Is that, is that a, wee, a, wee, a wee nod from Starfleet to say, you're ours, and you will always be one of us. Possibly, or it might just be that, you know, they still refer to him by rank. I mean, something that definitely within this continuity, Reich is a captain, isn't he? But at that point, he's acting captain, because I think he's retired, but he's still like on a reserve list. So he's obviously always been a captain. What I would love, personally love to see as a carryover is that um, in the novels, as I understand it, they actually made Riker an admiral. And it would have been pretty cool to see him as Admiral in this, but they probably don't want to have him at the same rank as Picard, do they? So, Was he not an Admiral in the last two episodes of TNG? You know where Picard it discovers that he has the brain abnormality and Riker comes along and saves the day, I think, in it as well. And and he's a he's an Admiral at that part. That's correct, but that's, that's like Picard, alternate like, universe stuff. It so. is, yeah. Some of the things it, that that happened in those two episodes are reflected in Picard, the brain abnormality, 
Riker coming along and saving the day at the last minute. Uh, Picard going off on a mission that, that everyone thought was just completely bonkers. That's very true, yeah. That is very mm-hmm. true. But yeah, I mean, I'm uh, Riker, yeah, it's just cool to him back as a, as a captain, but I don't know. There's something about him that I'd love to have seen from what I understand in the books he's had that would have been a good bit of continuity, but at least they kept him as a captain because, I mean, I'm, I know I'm pathetic. I was you know, splitting hairs over the fact they called him a commander in one of the episodes. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but I, I was just glad that you're, that Mystic, Mystic Stafford had scored another one. Well, I'm just happy to good. see that we actually had the same emotional reaction to the same scene, that it wasn't just me. No. I think anybody that I'd seen posted up about it said they had manly tears as well. It was just... Sure. I th- it's got, it seems to have got a generally positive reaction, I think. Mm. Some have said, mm, bit of a cop-out, but I don't know. Uh, up until this moment, and to be honest, the rest of it as well, I did enjoy it. it but that was that was certainly the highlight. But this is the where I thought, now, uh, I need complete candour. I need uh, I need you, like, uh, to be uh, Elnor's people at this point. So, Picard is getting really unwell. Picard is basically dying. So um, Soji says, what's going on? And, you know, Agnes basically says he's, he's dying. We can't do it. There's nothing we can do to help him. And she says, right, I'll, I'll allow you to beam down. And they beam him down to the planet. Now, it's a, it's a good fitting send off. You know, you see Picard surrounded by all his friends and he's saying, you know, I got you to not destroy people. I got you to help people, to, to Soji. And he's talking to, to uh, he's, well, he has everybody around him. You know, we see him talking. Agnes is doing the weird chin wobble again uh, that seems to be her thing. He And he, he reaches out to Elnor, who he obviously sees as possibly some sort of son, a surrogate son, he reaches out, uh, touches him. It's a lovely sort of touching moment and then he he goes to talk to to Rafi who really starts completely going to pieces um uh now to me there was an interesting thing because he says I mean she's the jail thing but he says to her you were quite right and then proceeds to die now I got a real flash in this as a similar uh, structure of the way the scene was done to the death of M in Skyfall. Uh, I've I've seen it, but I can't really remember that. Um, what? Oh, um, well, that's that was in the church, wasn't it? Because she had that's been shot. That's the one, yeah. That was such a sad scene as well. I think he realised at that point that she was proud of him. Hmm. That's all the thing I actually remember from that scene. But I got that feeling the way they structured this, because M in Skyfall says to Bond, you know, well, at least I got something right. That's true. And to me, there's an, there's an echo of that here. Now, the reason I want some candor from you, Joanne, is did you cry at all for this? I actually, no, not quite at that part. What struck me was I thought, what must it be like to be in your 70s and doing your own death scene? Mm. <laughs> there we go. I went into a very dark place with this. Um, how does that affect you as a person? That, that's. I was actually slightly out of that scene, thinking about more Patrick Stewart. He's seventy-three now, and he's just done a death scene where he's surrounded by his friends. 
a bit at least an actor. He probably do it to sleep, but I don't know if that was me and I was doing my de- doing a death scene in a, at that age. Um, do you do you wonder what is is that is that what it's going to be like when you actually die? Because you're fairly close to it at that point. I'm sorry, that's mm. really really deep. But it was a very emotional scene, and I think Ralphie asked him right about what, and he dies. <laughs> yeah. And it, was, it struck me a wee bit like um, in the last Star Wars movie, uh, Finn, the traitor, kept saying to Ray, "Ray, I've something to tell you, something to tell you," and he never tells her. So Ralphie's <laughs> obviously human, you know. And you're going, "Does he love Ray? What is it? I don't know what it is." But you're hoping in this occasion that. Picard has, has told Rafi, you were right all along. Everything mm. you said, you were right. And I was wrong. He never got to the bit, I was wrong. But it was emotionally jarring to see him die at that part. Because you knew it was going to happen because given the nature of his condition, but you really hope that it wouldn't happen because mm. this is fiction. And what was going to happen next? I actually thought at that part, thought, oh, Picard must not be in, even though that we know that there's a season two, that Picard may not feature in season two, that mm. it's that the name stays as a tribute to the characters that band together after his death. So I was a bit worried. I was a bit fretful at this point. I thought, mm. please don't let him die. But I hadn't quite cried yet. Again. Now, it's interesting what you said, though, about the the uh, an actor dealing with his own mortality, because he just gave me a flashback. I remember one scene interview with Michael Caine. And I, I, I honestly don't know what the film was, but he plays a magician in this film who has dementia. And within the film, his character dies. His dementia gets worse, worse, he dies. And from what I understand, he watched it with his wife, Shakira, who actually has said she will not allow their children to watch it because it will be too difficult for them to watch it, which I thought was an interesting thing. And it ties into what you said about someone's someone's more you know an actor dealing with his own mortality yeah do you know it's actually has occurred to me as well that i'm really hoping they have put patrick stewart and carbonite during the <laughs> because they were in the process of writing uh the series too and i think they were going to start shooting soon but obviously that's all probably be knocked on the head because of the this mass pandemic um mm. that nothing happens to him i i i I didn't cry in the scene. I think I more had a panicky reaction because I thought, mm. what happens if Patrick Stewart catches COVID-19? No, I, I mean, the man's in the 70s. He's in the he's in the critical group. Please let mm. him be okay. Because he, he's he's an amazing actor. He's As a person, too, he's very, very articulate. He's very intelligent. Mm. He's not frightened to stand up for LBT. LBT oh, goodness sake. I can't get any words straight here tonight. You know what I mean? Um, and uh, he's anti-Brexit and he's, he can get political on it. He's, he's not ready to speak his mind. So it would be a terrible thing if he was one of the casualties at the moment. Mm. And it was interesting that, as you said, though, I did not, similar to you, I had more of an emotional outburst having seen, having seen Riker reappear than I did over this scene. But I think that's because I knew about season two was going to be done. So we're getting a wee bit ahead of ourselves, but I'll, 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 I'll raise you one point of interest. You're Jean-Luc Picard. You know, you're ill, you know, you're dying. Okay. 
it seemed a bit mm. odd that he asked that he sent Riker on his way. Perhaps he didn't want his best friend to see that. He wanted possibly, to see, yeah. yeah, yeah. Whereas the other ones, as much as he loves the other gang, okay, Rafi's in her fifties, um, uh, but the other ones are younger. Mm. And in the big scheme of things, he hasn't known Rafi as long as he's known the Troys. So maybe, yeah, you know, Diana and Riker. Um, mm. Maybe he he didn't want. Riker to go through that because he was on a high when he left Jean Luc, knowing that he had mm. saved his best friend. It would have spoiled it for him. I, I think Jean Luc wanted his the last memory that Riker had of him was a positive one, and one where they'd fought a battle against terrible odds and came out successful. So yeah, I think that's why he sent him on his way. Yeah, and actually, yeah, that makes a lot, lot of sense, a lot more sense. He wants a, a positive uh, final image for him. And also, as a side note, I'd like to think that possibly Riker's going to go back into active service in some way. You know, obviously they, they, they're true. willing to let him. Well, they're willing to let him take the the, the fleet ship. You know, the, the the flagship. Sorry, out. I wonder if he'll, if he'll get like a desk job somewhere in Starfleet. I don't know whether Diana would be happy about that after mm. the loss of their child. Uh, Thaddeus. Point, good point. I, yeah, I think, and he did. He does mention, I think, in that episode that he didn't think Diana would let him go back into service again. So it must <laughs> yeah, be, he does. Yeah, I, I actually think probably Diana sent him. You get out there and you help. You help John. Look, look at the state he was in whenever he came down here with, with, uh, with that young teenager type person that he had with him. But if to do it regularly, I think Diana's too fragile now. She's she even says herself she's not strong as she used to be, and Picard says maybe yeah. that's not. You know that 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 sounds more like wisdom. But I and I don't think Riker would do that to her, put her through the worry of losing him as well, uh, especially at a time where he's at an age where he can easily retire. I know lifespans are longer in the twenty fourth century, but even at that, even if people are retiring at six, it's 75, say, which we all probably mm. will be by the time we make retirement already. She wants time with them. I mean, they didn't really get together properly until much later in life. And I don't... You know, how old would they have been when they got married, do you reckon? How old are they supposed to be? 50s, maybe? Uh, definitely at least late 40s. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying Riker's pussy whipped. I don't mean it that way. Um, no. I do. Yeah, I think it's it's a partnership there, and they they uh, pull on each other's strengths. That's not me even being rude for a change. That's just me being sympathetic to the characters. That their their partnership is such that if one counsels the other, especially given what Diana did before, I mean, she's not stupid. She, I think, she got promoted. I think in the end, she was even taking shifts on and on in the uh, the enterprise as well she decided to go for for promotion so that mm. she could uh, man the ship as it were because uh, the doctor was doing it too so she decided she would do it as well so Riker knows that his missus knows what she's talking about she knows that Riker's got a good head on his shoulders so yeah I think she trust I think she would trust them not to go back into service again unless it was absolutely necessary and it was on this mm. occasion 
Well, the only thing I would like to imagine is that the CNC who uh, swears a lot is replaced by Riker. That's the altern- That's the alternate reality I'd love to see. He gets bumped up to like field admiral and becomes CNC, but you know, probably not going to happen. <laughs> but back to the show. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, Pop, we've now learned that John and I have granite in our chest unless it comes to seeing our favorite uh our, our second favorite captain shall we say uh reappearing on screen in his badass form so that that's the only thing that moves our emotional needles <laughs> so uh and our other needles are moved when we see this next person so seven of nine is sat turning to rios drinking some sort of goop discussing that she obviously she's found out Picard's dead she's emotionally upset she's saying and she looks and just as a side note holy cow Jerry Ryan looks good in this scene but oh, uh, yeah. by the by this was just a, this the light everything oh god she looks amazing but she's discussing the fact that emotionally she's really angry with herself for the fact she's killed somebody that said she'd never do it mm-hmm. uh, whereas Rios is angry over the fact that he basically got close to, you know, an older uh, Captain Admiral. Um, well, he calls him a self-righteous hard-ass old starship captain, that he's allowed him to get into his heart and close to him, and he's seen him die, and it's, it, it destroyed him. But a very good point that's put across by uh, Seven of Nine is, well, could you, could you do anything to stop him dying? Is it your fault? Could you have prevented it? He says, well, no, I couldn't. And she says, well, I, everything I did, I could have altered or stopped. So. Yeah, she says I win. Yeah, because yeah. there was not, as they discussed, there was nothing he could have done to not take Riker into his heart to emotionally get involved with him. But there was something she she didn't have to kill. Picard, not Riker. We love Riker. Oh, oh, yeah, oh, oh, oh. See, that's, that's a Freudian <laughs> flip. I love for Riker. Means that we'd be crippled if it was Riker. <laughs> <laughs> just we just cry lumps like let's be. I'd have been Riker down. We're like, Woo! Yeah. but yeah. So she says she wins because she knows she didn't have to do that. She did it because it was the right thing to do. And in fairness, it was the right thing to do. Okay, I still think that Nerissa's is not dead, but she had to do it. There's mm. a moment in this that I'm going to ask you to put it, well, not a pin in, because it would be an inappropriate thing to say, because there's a butterfly in this scene. Yes. Did you notice the butterfly? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That was very spiritual Buddhist at that part. They say that the souls of the dead sometimes, you know, are in butterflies, and sometimes people believe that insects and birds come back, come back from, if you've lost a loved one recently, that they'll come back and visit you. Because uh, people need to see symbolism after someone dies, and I thought the butterfly was lovely touch at that part because you thought, is that the soul of Picard come back to visit his friend? Well, I thought because I have I have another thought about it later on. Okay, so we then jump to Rafi and Elnor, and uh, Rafi's in some sort of like meditation pose, uh, not smoking her thing, which is impressive. But uh, she's sat in a little meditation post dealing with stuff, and Elnor comes, and they both basically break down. And she starts saying, I've got you, I've got you. And they both start crying. Now, I had initially an interesting thought on this, because I'm thinking, well, 
the scenes maybe could have had the two females reversed. It could have been Raffi with a friend, Rios, and Seven of Nine, who'd been a bit motherly with Elnor. But then I started to think about it more logically, which is the fact that Raffi needs a son, if you know what I mean. She needs someone to look after again, I guess, to fill the void of the fact she doesn't have her son. Elnor needs a mother, so I'm assuming that's why that's been done that way. Yeah, my thoughts on it were that... The two sets of characters had very similar outlooks in life. Rafi and and, and, uh, and Elnor are loving and sensitive and needing, they, they need the touch. You know, they, they need mm. physical contact. Whereas Seven and Rios are very much stored inside don't properly talk about it talk about it in sort of cryptic terms and drink through it and don't hug don't touch don't cry just swallow it down and get on with yeah. it whereas the other two were oh, they were just very sensitive and, and they they needed to release it at that part it was such a sad bit whenever yeah. uh, Eleanor breaks down and Rafi wraps her arms around, her arms around him I thought oh that was that was really touching that scene but it was interesting mm. to see how one type of character or one one type of character deals with it compared to the other. You know, the the personality types or one personality type deals with it compared to another personality type. And once again, the butterfly appears. Uh, yeah, and again, I'd not really noticed the second butterfly so much, or maybe not taken on board as much. Um, because the card actually speaks to the butterfly at one point uh, whenever. It does. Captivity and the butterfly is orange, and then it becomes blue because the butterflies are also sense, and it flies off. and He and he says, "Lucky you." So once again, mm-hmm. we have the butterfly, and the butterfly is the same colours it was whenever the card released it in one of the other episodes. Interesting. So it cuts from that, and as you as you had said, we see the uh, butterfly, which has the uh, has various connotations from what has gone before and the spiritual connotations, and then we cut to Picard. And he's in mm-hmm. a a completely grey room, which, to be fair, looks like very 1980s to me. Uh, if it was black, it'd be even more 80s. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a, it's a great room. I wondered at that point, was it a facsimile of a study? Because there's the fact. Yes, it, yeah. yeah, I believe that's what it's supposed to be, yeah. Did you notice the clock? The face is completely blank, so you don't know what time it is. Well, I think the idea is time has no meaning. But in walks, so mm-hmm. Picard's taken in the room, and in walks data. And I do like the fact that we see this attention throughout the show where we keep seeing. And it's a nitpicking little Trekkie fan point from me or Trek or whatever the hell. They, I don't know which. Some sides get upset by being called Trekkers. Others get upset by Trekkies. I just look at it as I'm a Star Trek fan. So... Uh, but they have done a good thing throughout the show where they've at least had changes in uniform, haven't they, for flashbacks um, to to different scenes, you know, to different periods. And in what's data wearing the uh, the final Next Generation film uh, clothing. Yeah. And one thing that I really noticed, and whether you saw it too, is that I don't know if it's because we've seen the improvement in the picture quality now or just the the way it was designed to be, but Data's eyes really pop in this. He's got really, you know, his contact lenses are even stronger looking than they normally would be. 
Yeah, I, I actually thought data looked better generally all around. Like the effects yeah. were much better than they were yeah. at, at, you know, whenever he was having his bee streams. And it's yeah. it's interesting because we learn we find out within we find out within the scene this really is data. This yeah. isn't a dream by Picard this time. This is the real deal. Yeah, and it's very because it's the way. So I mean, it is a wonderful. I just I think this is just a phenomenally good scene. And he comes in and he's asking. He says to him basically, "This is like a giant uh, simulation, doesn't he?" Mm-hmm. Uh, but from your point of view, um, you know, you could see it's a dream. He saw what he says to him, but he asked the question: "Do you ever have dreams about me?" And I think I agree with what you said. Actually, at this point, Brent Spinal is really good in the, as the character. I mean, he's a little bit fat than he used to be, but he still looks pretty good. Uh, and it probably is the best you've actually seen data throughout. But it has a lovely conversation with Picard about things. And to me, it's a bit of a chilling. I don't know how you felt about this, but I found this quite chilling. She says to him, are you wearing the clothes you had on when you died? Yeah. Especially whenever Picard asks him, am I dead? And data goes, yeah. yes, Captain. And it's also yeah. quiet. And logical, and 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 data explains how it was. Uh, there was a part of his positonic matrix that Maddox had worked through because he had downloaded himself into B4, and it's all said in the beautiful, rational, logical data speak that he does, and how he throws yeah. in the in the, in in the wee head tilts, and yes, Captain, and just takes Picard logically through Picard's grief. Picard's grief mm. at the fact that it wasn't him that died on the ship that time, that Data had sacrificed himself to save his captain. Mm. I mean, the scene the scene is written so, so well. I'm it sure is. you'll agree. Yeah, the, the logic of the fact that Picard has carried all this guilt for 18 years or however long it is, uh, that, that, that the instance had happened and he's carried that guilt all this time and data reasons with him well did you, uh, because Picard is saying that he um, he is annoyed with himself if he's guilty because it wasn't him that died and data was saying but it was a logical thing to do do you do you feel regret for giving your life for Soji and the synths and he says no and, and data says well I don't either mm. I thought what a wonderfully logical way to put things I, I just thought that it was beautiful it was the perfect way to encapsulate everything that John Luke has been through the last few years and how in the end it was silly to think that way that Data did it because there was no other option even though John Luke had recognised that there was no other option in fact it was the most Data thing that he could have done is what I remember John Luke saying to him which was just it was just gorgeous. I, I loved the logic of the scene. And Brent was on perfect form as data. Yeah. And that's something, again, I thought about when I rewatched actually, how well he slipped into playing the character. It shows you what a good actor Brent Spiner. I mean, they're both wonderful actors. Uh, and I loved also the way the scene was constructed, the way it was visually shot, the, the, the beauty of the scene, but also just the beauty of the dialogue. When he says things like, yeah. do, you, do you remember how you died? 
And he said, well, you know, do you remember that? Oh, sorry, do, I think it was something like, do you remember the moment you were killed? Let's look at it. Cause to me, this is quite an important thing to remember. So I'm just backing it up slightly. Um, yeah, cause he says to him, basically, you know, that he acknowledges he's dead. He says, do you remember dying? And Picard is saying, well, I think I do remember dying. He was like something had just been turned off and gone away in my head. But it was like a sandcastle, child mm-hmm. sandcastle being knocked over, uh, collapsing, sorry. And data interests us. I'm aware that I was killed in 2379, uh, but he doesn't actually remember dying. But it is, it's that point when he says that everything there is a, is a complex re, re, uh, complex quantum reconstruction because he made a copy that went to B4 before he died. But the moment with Picard talking about somebody dying, he says, I can never forget that I saw you die. And they have this to, the, the conversation of the fact that basically you put everything in place to say you, you killed yourself to save me. And I'm angry that you did that. But Picard would have preferred to have sacrificed himself to save data. Which is, yeah, as you said, it's quite uh-huh. a thing. That moment when he says it was, it was the most data thing I could ever have done. <laughs> yeah, it was. Now, that's where I started to well up again. And apparently whenever they were shooting it, if you go to the well, the ready room and the interview that Will did with Picard, apparently when they were shooting that scene, they had to stop a couple of times because mm. uh, Patrick Stewart kept welling up. It was such an emotional scene and it comes across. Uh, I thought Brent did an exceptional job. Um, I, I mean, his reasons as well that he goes on to say, hi, and here we go. A butterfly is not a butterfly if it lives forever. Or if it lives forever, it's not really a butterfly. And we see the blue butterfly. And I mm. thought, does that mean that the blue butterfly that we've seen in, in the scene with uh, Seven and Rios and Rafi and Elnor, that wasn't the soul of Picard. It was, well, what, what does Data have? Um, y- you can't help but think Data has a soul in some ways because he was the most compassionate deep thinking creature possibly that ever lived he was there for everyone and it, it was it might have been part of his programming but he accepted everything and everybody and didn't judge anyone so it can in some ways it kind of makes sense that he's the butterfly watching and mm. making sure everyone's okay and just knowing what possibly he wants to see what Picard was going back to and it was evident that Picard was going back to People that loved him and, and adored him as much as the crew of the of the Enterprise loved their loved their old captain. And it's very interesting also to see something that I mean that yeah I couldn't put it any better than that. He's I mean like, the point though when he refers to Sung as his brother I found that was interesting with Data viewing him as a brother, uh, but also ties to something when we were discussing the Sung family last time when uh, Picard says I don't think they like him and Data says well he's an acquired taste yes. <laughs> that was a perfect description absolutely perfect description of all the songs they are so multifaceted you thought that this guy was going to actually be willing to destroy humanity but in the end he didn't he, mm. he made the neutral choice he made the choice that was better for everyone and it's the point that, uh, and I can see why that you would have problems getting through this scene when they're basically discussing the fact that 
Picard regrets not saying to Data, I loved you. Um, and Data is saying that that brings him some comfort, knowing that. He may not have heard him say it, but he knows that. But it's, it's yeah, it's just, inc- I mean, I'm watching, it's incredibly well done how he starts saying, well, basically, you're going to have to go now. You have to you have to do me the favour, basically, to like leaving and almost living, and living your life. I think, well, that's how I interpreted it anyway. That, yeah. That, and, and Picard himself looks rather shocked by the fact that they've actually managed to save him. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. I want your view on this. As, uh, he makes the point when he says, well, what's happened is they, managed to, they, they all managed to band together. You know, uh, Agnes, uh, Sung, and Soji managed to, you uh, point at death, copy your brain and put it into the golem, which we all sort of like, we knew the golem would play some part in this. They've copied Picard's neural uh, synapses or whatever sort of thing. So is the golem truly Picard? Well, there's an interesting question because every time somebody transports, they're beamed down to a planet, the ship side to side, whatever it is, that's a copy of what had been there before. Mm-hmm. There's worry that after, if we ever get into teleportation, or a teleportation, maybe that's a different thing, but if we ever we have that technology, that you're actually destroying the atoms and then reproducing them again at another location. Mm-hmm. Is it? Could it be argued that's the? Is it the same as the original? So are any of them the same as the original? By the time it gets yeah. to that point. Um, is this we're getting into real philosophical stuff? Without, do if if you leave a room, do you do, if you leave a room but you can't see the people in the room? Do do you cease to exist or do they cease to exist or do you all still exist at the same time? And and also, our bodies are replicating themselves every so many years. Your skin is completely mm. different. You know, we, we're not original copies of ourselves. Uh, I mean, here we go. Here's me being slightly weird i've had a hip replacement so there's part mm-hmm. of me that's not there anymore <laughs> and it's replaced mm. by something else so my part synth um mm. but am i still me because part of me's gone there we go that's really deep and philosophical but i like the idea that picard has is having to he promised the synths that he would get justice for them and equal rights and he is now one of them. So it's even more important to him that he, he gets that. Not that that was ever going to be John Luke's reason for anything. John Luke will do things because he believes it's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Admittedly, in this, in this season, we've seen that he tripped and fell a few times. In fact, sometimes he was pushed. I don't understand how the man didn't have more broken bone. But he would do anything if the cause was right. And he... he so... I, I don't know. Is Picard still Picard? I think he's still Picard because I think the essence is in the brain more than anything else, and the brain mm. is the bit that was transferred into the golem. I was just curious on your take on that, but to drag it back to the show, so we've shown we've thrown a massive philosophical question. <laughs> no. um, 
So you never thought you'd get this, did you? Listening to say like Codswallop, you knew, you knew having listened to episodes of this, you would get filth, but you did not think you would get philosophical. And I bet you didn't think you'd get me and Joanna. We were crying watching William Riker appear on screen, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> and this scene, I must admit, did bring the manly tears back again. I'm like, oh my god, trying not to cry because of the, the it, emotion in it. And then. The fact that Data asks the favour of Picard, he says to him, I want you to... Well, he's basically like stored in a big... To use a, a parlance now, he's on a hard disk drive almost, isn't he? His brain. And he's saying that basically that's his keeping me... I am literally alive on that system. Which, again, illustrates... Because what happened is uh, Maddox took, like, basically took a, a, a portion of his brain sort of thing, didn't he? His, uh, his neurons and has left him on this system. And he says to Picard, well, I want you to go back and live your life, paraphrasing, of course. But in the fate, my return is I want you to kill, to let me die, to switch me off. So I have, I will have know that I've lived uh, a finite life. I want some more, the mortality that goes to a human being. I want to feel that mortality. I want to feel peace. You know, Pete, well, he says peace, love, and friendship, and how much they mean to him. Um, and he says the importance of that. And I guess it's incredibly true of life. And it's very well written. Where he says, well, life is not, you know, the, the importance a human holds to the things that happen to them is because they know they will not last forever. And I need to have that feeling too. And then, of course, you see the butterfly. Yes, that's of the scene. The butterfly comes yeah. back again. I think it's quite a poignant scene at the moment, too, as well, because going back to what's happened currently, yeah, uh, we're all facing our, our mortality at the moment. So it, it resonates. You can't help but think, what if it happens? Um, mm. Have I lived a good life? Have I done what I really wanted to do? And there's a lot of sitting about at the moment, waiting for us all to be released again, to go back mm-hmm. to our normal life. So I think this is a... This is an episode that probably will strike people a bit more at this time, will resonate with folk because it's mm. touching the subjects. It's it's talking about death. It's talking about what happens next um, and what can we do to support others and how can we rebuild our lives again? Mm. Again, maybe in very deep. And they obviously drawing us back into the scene, they probably say goodbye to each other, you know, as commander and captain. And just going on to that scene itself, to me, it's the sort of scene, the way it was constructed, the way it's put together, it's the sort of thing that could have been written by somebody like Charles Dickens. I see as that sort of the the, start, the the way it was put together, the way it looked at the, the impact upon people's lives. Could it be something Shakespeare could have written if it was trans, you know, transposed and changed to a more... Uh, you know, a uh, 20th century, 21st century way of writing, possibly yes. But to me, I could re- see that being the sort of scene that someone like Dickens could have put together. Actually, it's a conversation or, between two people. Yeah, or maybe Homer. Whenever yes. you know, um, who was it? Odysseus goes into into Hades. I think is it mm-hmm. Odysseus. Yeah. If you have gone in, um, the, the Greek mythology, um. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the one that played the musical instruments. Flip, I was reading Greek mythology recently. That's why it's come into my head. And he goes into Hades, Morpheus, and mm-hmm. he goes into Hades, and he agrees to release his wife. And he turns around, and she disappears. 
as long as he he doesn't look at her before they leave Hades, he can take his wife back again. And of course, he turns he doesn't realize he's running ahead, and he's much further out of Hades than she is. She's still on the on the doorstep of it, and he turns around and she disappears. So, I, I think to me, it feels like Picard has gone into the land of the dead and is is speaking to the old spirits. Mm. It's very it's a very poetic scene. It's beautiful. It, it's it's it hard is. to oversell it because it's just what we as Star Trek fans have wanted to see for years, maybe without even realising that's mm. how good it was. But I think that scene, you could sit down and watch that even as a non-Star Trek fan and still enjoy that scene because it gives you enough backstory of what happened. But it, just the way it's written, the way it's been put together as a scene, I think it's phenomenally good, phenomenally well put together. Uh, and I think just taking out of Star Trek, taking entirely out of Star Trek and just looking at it as a scene, I think I, you can enjoy it just on that level. As two people who shared a deep bond finally getting to see each other just once more, one last time. And I think that it can be enjoyed simply just on that level as well. But Picard, he, he, he comes to in his, his new golem body and... Let's let's put some levity back into this this thing. Yeah. So he looks and he see he sees Soji's face, and then I had and I, I mean it's absolutely with no 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 bullshit. I watched this scene. I thought I'd love to see what Joanne makes of the person he also then has to look at. I <laughs> know. Oh, Imagine not being the first person you see. There's one wee bit here. I've just got to stop you to go back to the previous scene. Okay. But never did a set tells Picard that he has to go back again. Hmm heard the, the door swoosh from Star Trek. The yeah. door's open and it's the swoosh. Yeah. And I, I hear the swoosh and then you realise the door's open. And I thought, what a way to go, you know, go towards the light. What a way to go back to your body again is is the, the door from uh, doors in Star Trek. That noise. Yeah. Fucking G that part. I got really excited about that bit as well. But that's, yeah, that's really good, but obviously <laughs> I love the, you know, I've not thought of that. It's brilliant. I did not notice, you've got to go back to that Yeah, go back to that scene and listen to it and go oh my good grief. You're probably caught up in the emotion of the scene at that part and wanting to know what was going to happen to Picard next. But I, I heard it as clear as day and I thought Oh my good grief, you fucking stars. That is absolutely genius. I mean, it is a genius idea, but obviously Picard wakes up in his, his little golem body and he sits and he's, well, he says, tell me about this golem because he cuts from him being in the, t- the tube uh, and he sat talking with Soong, uh, Agnes and Soji wanting to learn about what's happening. And I just like the comments like, Agnes says, we haven't given any superpowers. <laughs> I, I, I think this scene is something that was needed to comfort those of us watching it. Because yes. we're thinking, oh no. Because I was a bit worried if they put Picard into the Gollum and he's still old Picard. Where's the reasoning behind that? But they, they sell it quite well because they tell him that he has no superpowers. He's no augmentations. His uh, his brain anu- uh, anom- anomaly aneurysm has gone, 
and he would have a normal enough lifespan. And the reason, and this is the bit that really sold it, was because they reckoned at 94, he was probably kind of used to that body and wouldn't want yeah. any change. Now, he does yeah. comment back at a, maybe like another 10 or 20 years. Um, so I, won- I wonder, when he's yeah. asking for the extra stuff, could they tweak him a little bit? Yeah, I think if I was 94 years old and woke up and I looked exactly the same as I did before, <laughs> that I would be a wee bit fucked off, to be perfectly honest. That I would want the body of a 25-year-old with augmentation and yeah. a much longer lifespan. Um, he, he, I don't know whether he humours them or whether in the background he's going, fuck me. You just couldn't think this through. But obviously they can't do it because of the nature of the series. Uh, they would have had to have cast a completely different actor. And I think people would have lost their shit at that point. They wouldn't have, what, they would what, have forgiven them. Yeah, I mean, I had to, I really did have to laugh. I've got to laugh at the moment when he, because <laughs> it's just backtracking slightly, but it's just, it's in front of me. When he finds out that the abnormality for his brain's gone from soldiers, he's like, oh, that's amazing, that's extraordinary. And then he looks sort of panicking and goes, you, you haven't made me immortal, have you? Yeah. <laughs> but, but I just love Sue's response, oh, relax, man. <laughs> no, no, it was a, it was actually a very good scene. And I think Sung, he... um. He showed in the end that he could do the right thing by giving up the golem's body. I mean, Picard thanks him because he knows that that was a sacrifice, a huge sacrifice. At the same time, I'm wondering, why can't they make another one? Did Maddox need to be involved in that? Is that not something Agnes could do? Could they, between the both of them, not make a, a golem for for Sung? Don't know. Well, could it be just the length of time it takes to create the golem, maybe? Yeah, it, it's just a bit unclear. Uh, but yeah. certainly Picard thanks him because he sees that as a sacrifice made by Sung. Um, but I kind of hope for Sung's sake that they can make another one. Mm. And I do, I still have this hunch that Wave's sort of looking where I would have wanted another 10 or 20 years, whether they can maybe mess around with him a bit and give him that, the way he was asking. Who knows? It was a little hint. Yeah, it was one of those, oh, I, I really like that. Have you still got the receipt? <laughs> yeah. It's a bit like, uh, you know, the great analogy I could think of. It's like buying a car and then going, well, actually, because you just had a couple of little, uh, you know, aftermarket modifications for like a spoiler or something. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine John Luke with big flared arches and massive big wheels. Yeah. Or alternatively, the one line I would have loved, just for a laugh, just for a laugh, is for him to say, couldn't you give me hair? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, the Mr. Part there. Yep. Imagine if he had a woken up there. That would have been hilarious. And then John Luke looks in the mirror and thinks, Look, you're going to have to get rid of the hair. <laughs> a long, luxurious hair, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a bit like the scene in um, the original uh, Batman movie, you know, the Tim Burton one, where the, mm-hmm. the, the doctor hands the Joker the mirror and he ah, says, Look, yes. I've got the best. Of- Way I've got the best tools here. You can see what I'm trying to work in, and that didn't quite work out what the way I I, th- I had hoped for. And he hands the Joker the the hand mirror, and the Joker cracks. He just yeah. completely loses the plot at that point and breaks the mirror, uh, and runs off. 
And uh, I could just imagine Picard doing that. It's <laughs> just because they've given him long hair. Or he'd just become a hippie, grow a long beard. and <laughs> <laughs> Hang out with the students at the artifact. No, I think what happens is he'd just go and hang out with the uh, the Rikers in the, you know, the woods. In the woods, that's true. Hang around with their precocious daughter, making up languages yeah. all day long. Imagine if we had a super, super Picard. Just giving him a week here. So, well, I think it would have been great. Uh, I know we're just like going off the, the scene for a minute, but wouldn't it be great to have Picard comes out, long hair, right? Goes hippie, grows, so he comes out a bit younger, gets to grow his, he has hair, he gets to grow a beard, and gets some really good shit off Raffi. <laughs> I think he'd probably be smoked Raffi into the ground if he came back like that. Bear in mind, he's a synth at this part, so he would take have to take an awful lot more. <laughs> Would kill yeah. He would die trying to keep up with him. That, then the next golem would be Rafi and so forth and so on. Before you knew it through, like it's just since. Instead of two of them, there's going to be six. Jump <laughs> out of their brain. Not going to cross the universe. You know what happened, though, don't you? That if Synth Super, you know, Picard goes against Rafi for drugs, it'd be like with Nail and I. I can take anything you. <laughs> and the thing is, he could. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I know. It, I'm really glad they kept him. Uh, it made sense as part of the part of the episode, but by fuck that was some seat of the pants right in there to get him, to keep him exactly the same. I thought, yeah. oh, you people, you took a risk there. It paid off, but you were literally flying the aircraft. Was it building the aircraft as they were flying it? Is an expression I heard the other day, and I pretty much think that that was going on at that point. Whereas Picard, the writers of Picard managed to save it. The writers have lost, just completely mm. lost, literally lost the plot at that point, and they their mad shit they made up. It didn't work, but it worked for Picard. But to go, unfortunately, Joanne, we're going to have to step back from our levity for a moment, uh, as Picard says, "Have a promise to keep." Now, they're playing lovely music. Interesting on a record player, which I guess is a nod to the vinyls come back. <laughs> but we see... We, well, I think that's what it is. It's a nod to the vinyls back in, isn't it? You know, this was a few years where it'd be CD players or mini discs. You know, kids who listen to this film, what the hell's a mini disc? Most will prove what the hell's a CD player. Between him and Rios, they're really into the retro stuff. Yep. But you see, I just think this is a really cool way they did this scene and hope I won't get choked up. But you've got um, Data in the the study, which is within his mind, um, and he's obviously looking even more human than normal. He's listening to – is it Blue Skies that's playing it is, isn't it? That, Blue Skies once again has made an appearance, which was originally a Bing Crosby song. I mean, hit mm-hmm. kicked off and it finished the series. Rumour has it that that's supposed to be uh, the actress who plays Suji singing it. I never got the chance to research that to see whether that's true or not, but yeah, once again, Blue Skies appears. The so- the last song that we heard before sing as well in Star yeah. Trek now. The song that Data sang to Diana and Troy at the wedding. Mm-hmm. And sang it another time. And as I say, it started the series and now it's finishing the series. And Data's sitting there in a smoking jacket. <laughs> mm-hmm. He likes uh, a smoking um, jacket. 
Because he did it as Sherlock Holmes as well. He had the smoking jacket. It seems to be. You know, I, never th- I never thought that link. But also, I mean, Picard's doing a, a, a what my father does, professional eulogy giver. Um, yes. And the pull, he basically is removing all the things that make, uh, that are plugged in that make day-to-date uh, in this system. And you see a lovely scene, and again, this is something I was saying to you before that I liked, where they the show different time frames. So you see Picard in his next generation uniform holding Data's hand while Data, because Data's gone to lie on a couch or while he's getting ready to pass uh, and date and uh, Picard removes a, like a USB stick that each time is data's memories. And they do this cool thing where they show data as if he was aging. Yes. And I was wondering how much makeup they just had to take off Brent Spinner. You know, uh, how much did they take off Brent? <laughs> how much of, by, the end, of by the end, by the end, Brent is 71, but he doesn't look that wrinkly. <laughs> That's true. It, it's an absolutely gorgeous scene. Again, really touching the fact that uh, Picard is there in his TNG uniform, holding on to his on to, on to his hands, friend or his friend's hand even as he dies. Um, and I'm just trying to look up here. Um, there's there's a quote that, uh, as Picard is given his eulogy. He, yes, he I'd like to, to know what that's from too. It's from the uh, Tempest. What? Oh, right. Yes, yeah, from Shakespeare's The Tempest. Uh, let me see. I'm just look. I'm trying to find it here um, to try and quote it because I'll get it inevitably wrong and get it back to the front, and that would be slightly I'll, embarrassed. I'll let you look for that. I'll just say what I yeah. loved in the scene is that you saw it, the whole scene dissolve. Into into the space, into a similar shot of space that you saw that when the episode opened, when Picard was dreaming about being on the Enterprise with Data, in the first ever episode, they used the same. I'm pretty sure anyway, they used the same spacescape, and you just see everyone yeah. stood around uh, for for you know after the the funeral has taken place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it, it goes into a couple of nebulas. And one, and it reflects the colours as the scene fades out. There's Picard's red, and Data's sort of like grey-blue colour. That's the colours mm-hmm. that they were dressed in as the scene faded. Yes, the things that it came from, uh, the quote that Picard uses to send his friend on his way is from Shakespeare's The Tempest. And it is, we are such stuff as dreams are made on, and our little life is rounded with a sleep. And at that moment, Data dies. Um, that's a quote that was said by the magician Prospero in The Tempest uh, and that was also a character that Data played. Do you remember they did a couple of episodes where it started off and they were doing Shakespearean plays? Well, yes, Data actually, yes. Yeah, Data actually played Prospero and that was um, a scene that uh, Prospero, that, that's his that's the, the, the bit in the play that, that he says and it's it pretty much encapsulates life. You live and mm. then you go to And it was very, very touching. Certainly, uh, it's interesting, actually, that uh, Patrick Stewart is one of the executive producers of this series, and he spent a lot of time in the writer's room. 
And he praised the writers, actually. He, he said it was fascinating to be there every day and see that because he had never done that before. But I do wonder some, because we've had a couple of bits of Shakespeare, a couple of quotes of Shakespeare through the series that mm-hmm. did Patrick throw those in? Because there's no better man for knowing a Shakespeare shit than Patrick. Well, he is originally off the RSC, isn't he? So it's his... <laughs> It is his. It is his. Uh, it is his beginnings. Um, so we see the. We're in, we're in a, a, a slightly upset funk. Well, I am anyway. So we then shift from that. We see the obviously the the, the mourners around the the funeral for Data, and then we cut to the ship. And uh, I, I'm issuing a trigger warning for Joanne because Agnes kisses Rios. So tr- trigger warning if. Yeah, Joanne's freaking make yeah, yeah, Joanne's making weird noises, so that's just uh, you know, don't be afraid. She's not choking on anything but vomit and disgust. I know. Rios, you could do better, mate. You could do better. Some could build you something better. Honestly, I'm so disappointed in the man. I really now she's a lucky bitch, like, but I am really disappointed in him. Well I'm confused though. <laughs> I was just going to lead you on a wee bit through the scene, but I'm interested to say you, you were a bit confused. What was it you're a bit confused about? I was confused by what came up next. And it, I'm going to uh-huh. let you lead to this. That's what I was just about to talk about. You look over the rail, and there's Rafi and Seven holding hands. And I thought, you just haven't wasted time. Had no idea there was any sexual chemistry between the two of them, but they looked very happy. As they were they were holding hands, they were they were also playing a game um, that the Vulcans play. Um, it's with the wee sticks, and if you get it right, it um, it takes the shape. Oh fuck! I I got ah, the name of it has has left me unfortunately. Uh, but it's a game that um, Seven of Nine was absolutely brilliant at in Voyager, and Kuvak um, he he thought he was the, the bee's knees at it, and he was forever beating everyone. But and he was playing one of the other characters, and seven it might have been, oh I can't remember what the other character, um Harry Harry what's his name the one that never got promoted, um, Harry Kim, but Harry Kim yeah he because you can see that I'm frantically going down through, <laughs> um a memory alpha here trying to find the name of that, but she uh, the two of them are actually playing a game, at that point, but they're also holding hands at the same time, so we have two love interests. Actually, mm-hmm. uh, we have Rios, and for some unknown reason, Gerardi, and we have now Rafi and uh, Seven of Nine. I, I think I sent you or tagged you anything in Facebook, and it was Rafi, well, the actual actors themselves, mm. uh, in, in each other's arms then, date night. It never dawned on me that the two of them would actually end up together. I was kind of surprised See? at that. Well, that, that's what I thought, yeah. As soon as I saw it, I had the flashback to the picture you'd sent me. But where it confuses me is I don't get what, how they suddenly got to that because you saw no indication of it before. And it sort of peed me off. It felt like they just tried to like shoehorn it in. And they should have given us some indication that I have no, no problem with them being together. I just would have liked some sort of, you know, something you know if if you see someone who you fancy you're gonna give them the side eye or something when you mm-hmm. see them there's never that at all between them it was whether something's been cut out that we haven't seen but i don't know i mean it, it's great but it just seems odd <laughs> if you, you do you understand yeah. what i mean 
Yeah, I, I know. I know exactly. But well, that that game was called Calto. Finally found it. That was doing my head in. Um, it's interesting because it's not the first time that Seven of Nine has been given a character to suddenly fall in love with. There was um, Akuchi Moi Boyo. What do you call him? Oh, fuck me. <laughs> yes, that's it. Good grief. You'll have to forgive me. Um, yeah, there was Chakotay that she suddenly had a, a love affair with. And all the way through the series, for about three series, you didn't see anything at all between Seven and Chakotay. And suddenly, in the last few episodes, there's this big, great romance between the two of them. Only this time, what they've done is they've just forced it into the last, what, three minutes of the episode. <laughs> there's suddenly something between Rafi and Seven of Nine. Seven of maybe just works a wee bit quicker than she used to. But certainly, we got, we got the impression that Seven... Seven sexuality. She was non-binary. Um, she, mm. she, um, you know, she was bi because the character that was stressed a wee bit, like Britney Spears, on Canto Bite. I thought mm-hmm. they had had a relationship, and now she's had a relationship with Rafi. So, I kind of like that you have a gay relationship on board and a heterosexual relationship on board, and that Star Trek is going more that way. That it doesn't matter what sex you are that it's it's all inclusive it's not it's not to be judged in any way it's it's normal as something that we definitely in this century are still having extreme problems with for some stupid mm-hmm. reason but discovery uh the gay couple in discovery that it, their scenes are so emotionally charged and absolutely beautiful and now maybe we're going to have it with the card in series two that we're going to have a relationship between rafi and seven of nine and let me just say, Rafi, you're one lucky bitch. I envy yeah. you. Yeah. Uh, just one thing I would like to say is that I would not want to be in the vicinity of either of them when they're in a bad mood, though, and having an argument. Because those two will spark off each other. <laughs> and the, oh, my good grief, because it's evident that Seven might have a small drinking problem. <laughs> and I'm wondering when two alcoholics get together, is it necessarily a good idea? Oh, shit, that is going to be bad. Drugs, alcohol, and, well, let's think about it. Drugs, alcohol, I'm pretty sure Seven has a lot of strength. Oh, God, if they argue, yeah, block them in the room and just leave them to batter each other. Yeah. Sex, uh, well, lots of wonderful sex, alcohol, mm. and Rafi getting stoned all the time. <laughs> Wonder will Star Trek really take it that far into the next episode? <laughs> Because we had a fuck, I, as far as I'm aware, there, there was a fuck mentioned um, in in the scene between Rafi and Seven of Nine, allegedly. Um, the okay. Is used. I never actually heard it, but I read something and it was mentioned, and I thought I didn't realize we had a fuck in this episode. It's a wonder the was- uh, the pearl clutchers aren't given off about that one. Oh, Joanne, the word fuck was used an awful lot in this episode. I think about three, four times. No, seriously, it was, because the most recent (laughs) one to this point was uh, Rios and Seven. There was swearing then. There was swearing, I'm sure, when uh, uh, Rafi and um, the annoying brother were were on the ship. Yeah, there's been swearing throughout quite a lot in this one. I didn't fucking notice at all. I think that probably says, now that I'm so used to hearing the word fuck, that I don't even notice it when it's said. Now, I had to said the word cunt. There we go. I might have noticed it. <gasps> my, pearls, 
<laughs> I got. I I did say to you that it's amazing I haven't said that word, but that is my other favorite word because sometimes it just describes a situation or a person perfectly. I think it also I can be a term be, of endearment. I have to be really, really angry to use that word. But yeah, it yeah. does occasionally slip out. Yeah, I, I, I try and swear less than I used to do. When I did one of my old uh, jobs, I used to swear far too much, but I've become a far more relaxed person with less filthy profanity since then. Uh, but we're, we're, we're going off on a tangent, but you love us for it. You know, listeners, you love us for this. So Picard goes to Sojin. He says to her, um, you know, you found your home planet. You finally found your home planet and who you were. And you are going to, you know, why would you want to travel with us? Are you sure you would have given that up? And she just says, think she thought she was more cut out for wandering. And then what a cool bit when she says, like, they lifted the ban on synthetics on free to travel. And you get the the little nod and the reminder at you. And Picard says, well, yes, so am I. Me too. Yeah. And it's, it's in his best interest as well to make sure that there's equality for all synths. I think that, that's the thing about that character. It's equality for all. He, he's like that in his in his personal life, and his character his, is like that in Star Trek. And that's why we just love him so much. But is that not the beauty of it all? The fact that Picard fought to try and, you know, make things okay for the synths to deal with the thing, then as an absolute twist of fate, a beautiful twist of fate, him became that which he'd fought to try and protect. It, it's just a great ending. But then I love the fact that you have Rios saying, okay, Admiral, you know, what, what are we going to do? And, you know, you get a reaction from everyone sort of looking. I mean, this to me is like the ultimate Trek sent. This is the proper Trek final sort of scene for Star Trek because you've always got to have a shot of the bridge crew. Always got to happen. Every film has pretty much ended with it. Every sort of big ending of a series has tried to end with it. But certainly on the films it has. So everyone turns to Picard and he obviously says, you know, engage. Now, the interesting thing is, and it, it finishes on that scene, we get a close-up of uh, Picard smiling. Ship goes into what? Bump, we're done. Now, the interesting thing is that engage was used in the promos for this show. Oh, it's been that long since I've seen them. I hadn't even realised. Oh, so <laughs> that's kind of a bit sneaky of them. Well, I only the, know because uh, I only know because I could never work out. It's not. It's only just seen him saying engage, and the only way I could work it out is I could never quite work out in the trailers for it early on why he seemed to be smiling when he said it. <laughs> it never made any sense to me. Yeah. Here, there's another thing. Um, once again. Picard is the only man standing. That's true. I mean, fuck me, people. I know he's a golem, but he's a 94-year-old golem. We just <laughs> ever just... This is a bit like being on a bus and an old person comes on and not one person offers them the seat. Right enough these days, if anybody got on and they were too close to you, you'd probably get up and move <laughs> to get away yeah. from them. But, uh, yeah, once again, Picard standing there, determined to... Uh, not not follow safety protocols as they go into warp drive. I, I'm beginning to think he maybe has magnetic boots on or something like they do in um, The Expanse because of the low gravity. <laughs> they all wear these, these magnetic boots. I'm beginning to think Picard stole a pair of those. 
Well, one of the things that I noticed that's a little behind the, the scenes sort of jump that I noticed, well, A, I want to admit, I'm very sorry that Alice Krieg hasn't uh, appeared. My sources have obviously failed me. But the interesting thing I noticed is this. So, and I'm going to say this, John, and if it takes you out the thing, I'm very sorry, and I'll give you a virtual hug because we can't be near each other. Um, <laughs> when you see... Uh, Data and Picard in the afterlife, the final scene sort of thing. I get the distinct impression that they probably shot the scenes of from the that we saw in the first episode of Picard in his TNG uniform and uh, Data in his normal uniform. Even though you then saw him in his smoking jacket, probably all around the same time. Yes, because it would have been handy, I suppose, to have it have yeah. him there. It must be very strange as an actor to shoot things out of sequence, to not sort of have that continuity of how your how your character's developing. Mm. Um, I mean, this this whole series has kind of felt like it was it was the backstory for the proper start of the st- the main storyline, which yeah. would be series two. Uh, I mean, what was it? Ten? It was ten. Yes. It, what am I asking? Yes, it is ten episodes because we recorded recorded them. Um, that if it was the as as it had been years ago, whenever series were like twenty four episodes long, this would have only been ten episodes in. Yeah. I think often a series was only starting to take off, maybe after series one of twenty four episodes, or when Riker got his beard, whenever that was. And we have put a lot of demands on 10 episodes mm. to work its magic. Because I don't know why uh, why series aren't as long as they used to be. I mean, traditionally in the UK, it was always um, six episodes would have been in a season. Maybe 10 if you were really lucky. But this is 10 episodes compared to the 24 that we would have had in the old Star Trek. And yet we're... They've had, they've had to cram quite a lot in. Now, they've been kind of lucky in some ways because they lost the plot, I thought, for at least three or four episodes. I thought they drifted too much and they ended mm. up having to cram everything into the last few. I mean, I do think you probably, what you just said then is so on the money. It's, uh, it's uh, if, you, if we were gambling, this would be t- the, the, the ultimate one to go with. It. Possibly this is like almost just the sweetener for the real deal with, it, with series two. Well, you've certainly, you've got all your players now lined up Every single one of them has had closure to their story, which is kind of mm. nice. You know, we didn't end on a cliffhanger. Maybe some people love love it whenever a series ends on a cliffhanger, but it's kind of nice that every everyone had their wee storyline wrapped up. So there's no real loose ends to go into season two, unless you count Naris or Narissa. What I would ask, what I would ask is, could they, if we say the, the we don't know what, Chaos, the coronavirus seal, uh, seal, uh, COVID 19, sorry, is creating. Could they get away with not doing a second series? And I would argue they probably could. Yeah. Um, I think it's been signed up for series three as well, one of the rumors. But this. Interesting. Yeah, this is a game changer. What's happening right now is a game changer. The Witcher is going to be. The Witcher has been put on hold as well it's not going to come out until 2021 and that was such a major hit it was a strange one like i mean it took a long while to get started and i couldn't figure out the timelines once i did it but, ah, right i get you now and i really enjoyed it but 
a lot of our a lot of our favourite programmes and series are going to get hit and films are going mm. to be later released as well. So from here on in, it's literally anybody's guess. This 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 is um an extraordinary time to live in, as the old Chinese proverb was, um, which was a curse, I believe, as well. May you live in interesting times. Well, by fuck, these are interesting times because no one knows what's going to happen next. Yes, it's a pandemic and it'll, it'll eventually go away. The Black Death went away. Ebola goes away every so often. The Spanish flu went away. We'll get through this, but how we're going to be afterwards and how that has the impact on the entertainment. And it goes into the zeitgeist as well. Mm. Um, I believe, uh, now I hope there's no real Godzilla fans listening here because they'll just scream at me if I've got this wrong, that Godzilla came about because of Nagasaki and Hiroshima. That disaster that happened to the, the Japanese people, it changed it changed how they viewed things. I mean, look at Akira. Mm. Akira certainly had that post-nuclear feel to it as well. Admittedly, it was it was made in the 80s when there was that real fear of nuclear war. But yeah, I, I wonder, will we see a reflection of that in Picard? Now, it never references sort of our modern times, but there was an episode in DS9 where Dax, the Cisco and the Doctor go back in time and it's to time and earth. I think it might have been 21 something or other, but no doubt somebody's screaming here telling me it's not that. Whenever humanity has turned on itself, there's been a great disaster and it's just before we become enlightened and start becoming a, becoming decent people and then warp drives developed and the Vulcans come down and everything changes for us. But is this for us the start of something different maybe something better something worse before it gets better again who knows maybe i've just been watching too much star trek and trying to trying to trying to hope that there that there's something better for us out there after we get through all this but yes in other words i don't know what's going to happen to the next season and what would you give that episode out of 10 joan i think i would give it nine and a half um it was close to a 10 i might have given it a 10 before but now after thinking it through tonight uh, there's elements of it I would definitely give a 10. Breaker coming back. Um, a scene between Data and Picard I would give a 10 for. Uh, the made-up Hunt Wavium stuff on, on the La Serena between Rafi and Rios trying to fix the their intercooler. That was a bit that was a bit weak. But generally speaking, it was an incredibly good episode. And I think it was a nice end to what has been a slightly problematic series at times, but I'd be really interested to see what you think. Um, I'd agree. I'd give it nine, uh, nine and a half out of ten. Um, I, <laughs> uh, with some humour, I would say, you know, yeah, give us more Captain Riker, and I would have uh, given it a ten. Where I would have given it a ten, if I'm really honest, what I would love to have seen is if Riker had come in on the flagship of the Enterprise E or F or something of uh, you know one of the enterprise whatever electric would be on i think would have been a great thing to see that should have probably been the flagship um i would have liked to have seen uh, yeah the funny hand thing didn't make a lot of sense i would have liked to have seen what happened to narik um whether he was killed or whatever happened uh, and i would have liked to have probably seen some sort of idea as to why 
suddenly out of nowhere, Seven and uh, Rafi show an interest in each other. But I do like to see where that will go. But yeah, I think to bump it up to 10, I would have liked to see the Enterprise back. I think that would have just been a lovely little thing for fans of the Enterprise to come in with Riker as captain as the big flagship and really shown like an amazing you know, ship to be the Enterprise. But we didn't get that. Who knows? We may see the Enterprise in Series 2. Uh, but yeah, I give it nine out, nine point five out of ten. I mean, I was just really happy with it. I was really happy with it. I think it was well done. I think very well done. Um, it has, as a series, had moments where it's been a bit spotty and had problems. Generally, been pretty happy with it. I've liked the style of acting. I've liked the fact we've seen humanity to characters. We've seen things that people even now could, you know, have problems with. So we've seen the issue of aging, we've seen the issue of health problems, we've seen the issues of people losing children, uh, how, uh, you know, in the case of what happened to the, 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 the Rikers and how they had to change their life for that yeah, and deal with that and get on with that. But I think also the fact that we've seen, you know, in a sense, it's like seeing old friends with this series, you know, see where people have got up to and what's going on. And I've just really enjoyed that. And as you hit the nail on the head, you said, you know, when the, the crazy things we're going through now, it's reassuring to see an old character and old friends and back and seeing what's happening. And it takes you back in some part to easier times in your life. Mm-hmm. And I do definitely think we need that. We need that right now. I know it's maybe gone slightly modeling there towards, towards the end. But it's hard not to touch on what is happening right now. Yeah. Because it's, by the time this is released, dear knows what will have happened. And I'm hoping that it's something positive, that we have flattened the curve and we're all in Mm. a much better place. Um, And that we'll recover, whether health or financially. But I certainly um, wish everybody listening and anybody who's not listening and by Mm. who is accidentally overhearing this, why are you not listening? That that you're okay stay safe yeah i completely echo that i'd like to just say to anybody who is listening friends well friends family whoever anyone who comes to it afresh you know hopefully you be we'll all be able to get out of this in one piece across all the things that will impact you know people's health well-being of the primary things people's finances are very important but the secondary things um but yeah so we've ended it. Unfortunately, we've ended on a bit of a downer, but those are the <laughs> the the real the real uh, feelings we do have. And I cannot end this episode without putting a huge, huge thank you out to you, Joanne, for being my uh, my partner and helping me go through the uh, the this series on these travels. Uh, you have been a wonderful person to help guide me and get me through it all. So thank you so so much, James. Thank you so much more in return because you've given me the opportunity to do this um it was just it's been a blast uh, we've been through the ups and downs with it um and it it's been it's been great to actually dissect something uh on a podcast with someone rather than just usually i would be the one listening to someone screaming at them as i'm driving along in the car no you got that wrong what the fuck you don't know what you're talking about so i just like to issue an apology now for calling the borg cyborg in a recent episode, I didn't mean to do that. In fact, I did that about four times, and I shouted at myself. Um, and any other any other words that I've got either back to front or mixed up, uh, forgive me, but go stick it up your bangle. I don't care. I enjoyed it. Fuck you. <laughs> well, 
on that note, on that bombshell, as I always say, I think we've been talking of celluloid codswallop and certainly Picard-based celluloid codswallop in this episode. So, uh, to go even more Star Trek, I'm going to say live long and prosper. I have been James. And I've been Joanne. May the Force be with you. <laughs>